You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 423. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at the socially distant APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 30th of April, 2020. Today's episode, COVID-19, will produce a surplus of used jets, creating a challenge for Boeing and Airbus. Also, Airbus develops covers to protect control panels from spills. More news, your feedback, and in today's Plane Tales, Willy Wonka and the Fighter Pilot. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, Flight 423 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, our radio professional in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a former U.S. Air Force pilot and currently a captain for a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, which I like to call Acme Airlines. And I am joined today by my awesome APG co-hosts, first from her lakeside home in the Carolinas, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so great to see you all again. I'm really looking forward to today's show. It's going to be a good one. Excellent. And we're also joined from the uh, Valley of the Sun, world traveler, airline, airplane, I keep saying that, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? Outstanding. We can't. Yep. Hang in there. We're good. Oh, excellent. 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 Oh, happy to be back. It's going to be a good, good show. Social distance, but great nonetheless. All right. And also joining us from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, farmer, RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Hi, everybody. Oh, great. I'm loving it. Back here, chat with my friends. Any trouble is I don't have a beer. There's something wrong with this picture. Oh, that's sad. And also joining us from the northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, it's Captain Dana. Hey, everybody. Good to see everyone this afternoon. You're sounding kind of down, um, and I think I know why. And before we get into that, let's go ahead and cover some news. Stand by for news.
All right, the first item in our news folder, item A, news, jets from Bust Air. Let me start that again. Jets from Bust Airlines set to flood the aviation market. This was sent in by Captain Nick. You want to cover this one, sir? So I got the original article from the Times, but uh, this uh, looks like it's come from, oh, it is from just from the uh, U.S. business editor of the Times, James Dean. Uh, wasn't there a record about him? I think James so. Dean? Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of famous. So it, he has done an analysis of uh, the mainly the uh, uh, market that um, leases uh, aircraft. And uh, he's uh, saying that uh, this problem we're having with no flying isn't just hurting the airlines, of course. It's, co- it's hurting both the manufacturers and those who uh, lease aircraft. So uh, they're expecting uh, um, literally hundreds, um, possibly even a 1,000 commercial passenger jets will be repossessed from airlines over the next year. Now, that is a humongous number of aircraft to have uh, looking for customers, which, of course, is going to hit the manufacturers pretty hard because with all these cheap leases uh, going on, uh, who's going to need brand-new airplanes? So um, they think uh, the analysis is that hundreds of airlines are expected to be wiped out completely, and I've heard a figure there are about 800 airlines in the world. It could be as many as 400. 50% of the world's airlines may, well, they're going to be in financial difficulty. I don't know how many of them will disappear, but it's going to be a significant number. Um, obviously, we're looking at uh, the worst crisis in aviation history. Um, so basically, it's, a, it's quite a good analysis at the problems that the industry is going to face in the long term, not just the short term. Uh, uh, They literally say half the world's 800 airlines will go bust by the end of next month without support from their governments. So really, almost every airline out there, or at least half of them, are going to rely on uh, governmental um, assistance to get over the hump. And, of course, that won't necessarily stop them from going bust. So I think a lot of governments are going to be reluctant to plough money into an airline that isn't looking as if it's going to survive. Um, so that's going to just uh, make things you know, happen a bit quicker for some airlines. Um, we can expect, of course, enormous numbers of pilots to be out looking for work as well, which makes it hard for those who are trying to get into the industry when there's a lot of highly qualified people out there looking for jobs. Um, So it it does go on, uh, and there was an interesting uh, bit at the end. Avalon uh, said this month that 80% of its airline customers had asked for relief, relief, uh, including deferral of lease payments. So Avalon is a big leaser of uh, aircraft. Uh, and so the leasers uh, and their investors are going to start suffering because their customers who borrowed, who pay for these aircraft uh, aren't going to be paying them. Uh, and many airlines are considering uh, sale and lease bank deals to raise cash, uh, which you know, last week apparently United uh, said it would uh, sell and lease back 22 aircraft. So I don't know who wants to have these aircraft at the current state, but this is going to be a situation. Uh, it, it's a very interesting article, and I'd uh, recommend anyone uh, who has an interest in the long-term life of uh, the industry to take a look at it. 
Well, cash is king, and that's one way to preserve your cash is by canceling leases. So, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. much so. It's all kind of a big snowball effect, isn't it? You affect one problem, affects another problem, and causes another problem, and... Um, you know, you talked about the government uh, needing to support all of these these airlines and then the industry in general while they're supporting so many other things at the same time. Um, you know, you wonder where the sustainability ends. Yeah, one, my right. guess is that one of the types uh, that won't be uh, suffering from these problems are freighters. Exactly. So what do you reckon, right. Rick? <laughs> I, I, was, yeah, I was just going to say that. It's, it's interesting how, uh, um, how uh, I, I, see, I see airlines you know, going forward, kind of beefing up their own uh, freight departments because that seems to be the one area where, uh, you know, immune to this to this whole thing. If anything, um, freight uh, is, is just is just going through Cincinnati this morning, or or every stop I make, it's just it feels like it's peak season in December, November. Uh, it's it's just unbelievable. Uh, is that the clock. Quick? Would that put the squeeze on an airline like yours a little? If all these uh, passenger outfits, and ours is one of them, my, my old outfit, they're, mm. uh, they, they've uh, imported over the last uh, you know, few weeks uh, 44 million pieces of uh, PPE mm. uh, from China to the UK. So does that put a squeeze on you, Rick, or do you reckon you're, you're still going to be king? I think we'll be fine uh, because it's just just the way the business is diver- uh, diversified. It's just it's it's just so much between e-commerce and uh, you know air mobility command and uh, overflow for UPS and FedEx, and uh, just the volume of traffic just keeps growing and growing. Where I believe it's it's, it's just going to be you know there's going to be a lot to a lot of work to go around. I believe so. Uh, but like I said, I, I do see airlines going forward, kind of beefing up their own freight departments too. Because I, you know, sadly, passenger flying is one of those areas where it, it really is tied. Uh, a lot of it is tied to disposable income, and so when that disposable income uh, kind of dries up a little bit, so so you know the the passenger travel uh, goes down as well. But uh, freight cargo has to move no matter what, and as as, as we've seen with the uh, um, supply chain uh, issues that we've had. So uh, I think on the freight side, we'll be fine, thankfully. Yeah, well, I I hope so, for sure. Yeah, a lot of passenger airlines are looking at the the whole cargo freight option as a way to supplement revenue until everything recovers. and with all these aircraft out there, uh, there's there there there's a lot of uh, of, of potential for uh, for uh, freight conversions. Uh, you know, seven five seven sixes. Uh, there was even some talk. I don't know if uh, official yet, but of, of uh, maybe uh, turning some of those seven uh, three maxes into uh, into freighters because the seven thirty seven is a it's a great point to point little freighter um, to uh, to complement that supply chain. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here the next. Uh, couple of months and years it is yeah. it's a shame we haven't developed a way of putting people in suspended animation because that would be the perfect cure you put all the all the passengers into a little pod and then just put them in the freighters and heave them off and You've wake been watching them up a lot of end. sci-fi stuff again Nick, i think <laughs> yeah. uh, hey i'm trying to be practical here and you're shooting me down in flames <laughs> like cryogenic freezing of people and you'll just you know wait until yeah. the virus dies off and yeah, uh, then we'll all wake back up reanimate with, and yeah. inject them with antifreeze that's what you do uh, yeah nick I, I told you to take that medication hey, before just we for, for, people, for people listening at home please don't inject yourself with antifreeze morning <laughs> <laughs> from the doctor uh, thank, thank you Steph. Yeah. Uh, help. Don't try this at home. All right. Well, 
Enough of that. I think we should move on to the next item, which is B, because it comes after A. Not two. I'll no. this later. Uh, incident. Titan A321 experiences engine surges, engine stalls due to an overdose of fuel treatment. And uh, let's see, Mark Bailey um, also sent us some feedback regarding this. He said, my name's Mark. I live in Horsham in the UK. How did I do? Horsham? Horsham, yes. Horsham. Very good. Uh, I've been a listener for about <laughs> two years, and this is, that's what happens when you... <laughs> well, never mind. Um, I've been a listener for about two years, and believe it or not, I'm still listening. Wow, that's a miracle. And uh, this is the first time I've submitted feedback. Sorry. No problem, Mark. We're expecting more, though, from you. I'm not in the aviation world, just an enthusiast who loves planes because I spent the first 20 years of my life living at the end of runway 26 left at London Gatwick. My favorite period was in the 70s when planes were loud, low, and noisy and used to make our house shake every time one went over. Love what you do, real entertainment value, and knowledgeable discussions. Well, 50% at least. (laughs) I wondered if the attached story may be of any interest and a good discussion point. Uh, This sounds a real squeaky bum moment for the crew. Uh, I've attached uh, links to the story. And uh, anyway, he says, I used to live right where the crew started their right turn on the attached map. Please stay safe and stay at home. Believe me, I work for the National Health Service. And this thing is no joke. Anyway, bye for now. Regards, Mark. Thank you, Mark, for uh, being part of the uh, of helping us work through this pandemic uh, with the National Health Service. We really appreciate you all on the front lines. Um, so the uh, story that he referenced, this Titan A321, on the 26th of February, they were, and this is from the uh, Aviation Herald, Uh, Let's see, a Titan Airways Airbus A321-200 performing a positioning flight uh, 411W from London Gatwick to London Stansted was climbing out of Gatwick's runway 26 left when the left-hand engine, a CFM-56, suffered a number of engine surges and engine stall indications and engine stall indications for the right-hand engine were displayed on ECAM, which continued for the remainder of the flight. The crew stopped the climb at about 4,500 feet and returned to Gatwick for a safe landing on runway 26 left about 11 minutes later, or 11 minutes after departure. The UK Air Accidents Investigation Bureau reported the occurrence was rated a serious incident. I think it's bored. Oh, bored. Uh, Sorry. I am too. (laughs) How about this? The UK AAIB reported the occurrence was rated a serious incident, and they're investigating. The aircraft sustained minor damage. Uh, On the 30th of March, 2020, uh, the Aviation Herald received information that overdoses of biocides contributed to the occurrence deteriorating the performance of both engines as well as the APU, requiring the change of both engines and the APU. CFM and Boeing released alert service bulletins requiring the suspension of the use of Cathon or Cathon, K-A-T-H-O-N, FP 1.5 biocide treatment. The FAA followed up with a uh, SAIB, a Special Airworthiness Information Bulletin. And uh, let's see. So let's uh, tell you what happened here. Apparently, the airplane had been on the ground for a while. Undergoing uh, some extensive maintenance, and they did a test of the of the fuel tanks to see if there was any contaminant in the uh, tanks. I guess it's part of their 
their big uh, maintenance uh, action, and they uh, that revealed that there was some um, some contaminant in uh, in all the tanks, and so that resulted in them uh, starting a treatment with this biocide. Um, let's see. Um, the operator's work call work card called for biocidal shock treatment for moderate contamination with fuel mixed with Kathon FP 1.5 in accordance with blah, 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 blah. So um, let's see. The treatment was not designated a critical maintenance task by the AMO. And I'm not sure why they threw that in there except that maybe if it is a critical maintenance task that it's given higher scrutiny and maybe more cross-checks to make sure it's done properly, I guess. Uh, the task states that the fuel should be mixed with cathon uh, biocide at a concentration of 100 parts per million by volume, 100 ppm, and then the aircraft pressure refueled using the onboard automatic control functionality in accordance with AMM task, blah, 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 pressure refuel with automatic control. The cathon dosed fuel should remain in the aircraft fuel tanks for 24 hours. The IAZA uh, the Part 66B1 licensed AMO engineer was not familiar with the term PPM. Mm. Really? Yeah. It was, the devil's in the detail, you know? Yeah. It was not written in expanded, in expanded form anywhere in the AMM task or glossary, and the AMM task did not provide instructions about how to perform the calculation of how much Kathon to use. He therefore searched the internet for a definition and conversion calculator. The AMO engineer knew that he would be uploading 6,200 kilograms of fuel into each wing tank and using an internet calculator. He calculated a quantity of 30 kilograms of Kethon for each wing tank. Uh, there was 150 kilograms uh, available in the AMO stores, blah, blah, blah. So um, to achieve a concentration of 100 parts per million by volume, the following calculation should be made. And then it goes through... Um, you know, the fuel uplifted 6,200 kilograms with a specific gravity of 0.80812 equals 7,678 liters. Uh, so it goes through the calculations. I, I love stoichiometry, by the way. Do you? Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm, I love just hearing you say that word. Stoichiometry. <laughs> yeah. Say it again. Stoichiometry. Ooh. Wow, <laughs> uh, that's what she so said. So, how much how much was he off by here well, on his calculations? So he was only supposed to put in point seven nine nine kilograms, so one, less than one kilogram per wing tank, and he put in thirty kilograms. So it was like a factor of I think thirty seven or something like that. Yeah, more than he should have put in there. And so apparently, there was still a pretty high concentration of the stuff. And not only that, but then you have to, then you have to, oh my goodness, that's a pain in the, oh, so not, not, you have to obviously clean the tanks and flush the lines, <laughs> which is a pain to do. So I, this guy, yeah, this guy takes the cake, I tell you. Yeah. So that was where the error occurred. And apparently nobody, you know, uh, the QA or quality assurance, quality control, whatever, didn't catch the, uh, the error. Um, I neglected to read um, what a great time it was in the cockpit of this airplane after shortly after they took off. At around 500 feet above the ground, the number one engine began banging and surging. Uh, Commander A recalled that the engine's control indications were fluctuating and the aircraft was yawing and fishtailing all over the place. <laughs> there was no accompanying ECAM message. Data recorded on the flight data recorder subsequently showed that the number one engine, N1, reduced below 40% Ooh, for a ouch. period of approximately 25 seconds, despite the thrust levers remaining in the flex slash MCT detent. 
Uh, a number of cabin crew saw flames coming from the number one engine's tailpipe and attempted to contact the crew using the interphone. Commander transmitted a mayday call requesting a return to 26 left and issued alert, an alert call to the cabin crew. He disengaged the autopilot and turned right on a downwind. He moved the number one engine's thrust lever to idle. At one stage, after doing so, he recalled seeing the number two engine's control indications begin to fluctuate. Just after commencing the descent from around 3,600 feet above ground, the ECAM message engine two stall was displayed three times in quick succession. Uh, This prompted the commander to move the number one engine's thrust lever forward out of idle. He commented that both engines appeared more stable when the thrust was reduced while descending, and he aimed to maintain each engine's N1 at around 49%. Uh, The uh, co-pilot prepared the aircraft's uh, flight management guidance system for a return to runway 26 left, positioned the aircraft on a nine nautical mile final approach. He opted to fly slightly above the path in order to minimize the thrust required by the engines. Very smart. Yep. And so he could glide the aircraft to the runway if the engine problems worsened. The aircraft landed at 0020 hours, so a little after midnight, with the reverse thrust appearing to function normally. So, wow, what, what a wild ride and what a surprise for the crew on this one. That is a simulator check right, right there. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> Well, you hope it's only the simulator, not from know, hell. You don't want to see that. <laughs> wow, that is that's that's some that's some airmanship right there. Congratulations! Wow. Yeah, yeah. They, they did a reasonable job, didn't they? they this brings to mind the uh, accident, well, near accident of an A three thirty into Hong Kong. I don't know if you remember. They had fuel contamination. Also, theirs was caused by uh, little particles uh, from the refueling filter that had escaped into the fuel system. Uh, they were though like those little particles that absorb water, and they managed to jam up the system. And they had very similar uh, indications. They uh, lost one engine to a surge, and the other engine started uh, indicating uh, the same kind of fault. What was the message they got? A, uh... It's not your day. <laughs> remember the ECAM warning? I, I, I don't remember. It's gone out of my head hmm. uh, that these guys had. I'm looking Wasn't for it just it. an engine stall warning? Engine stall, yeah. Engine stall, yeah. Um, wow. And uh, Airbus uh, said uh, that they would be rewriting uh, fuel contamination drills for all their aircraft. I'm just wondering if they're in now, uh, the, the Hong Kong situation was quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is recommended is that you take out the auto thrust. I don't see that happening in this drill. And I must admit, the one thing I would not want to do if I've got an engine that won't respond and another engine that's indicating faults is let the auto thrust wang the thrust around. I would want to have the auto thrust out and I would want to be handling my good engine very gingerly Mm. uh, because while it's running at a certain RPM and that's working for me, leave the damn thing there uh, because these fuel particles often get into places like the uh, pistons that control your inlet guide vanes. Mm -hmm. And once they jam those, then you're almost certainly going to get an engine stall, an actual stall. If you try and advance the throttle too much, you get fuel in the the airflow uh, demands uh, become increased. And without those IGVs moving, uh, you, you, you're going to physically stall the engine. So um, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the situation was. I'm so pleased they got it back safely. Uh, but 
dealing with fuel contamination is a damn nightmare. And if you get one engine with a problem and another engine with a problem not long after takeoff, that would be waving that warning flag in my head. So by moving the uh, thrust lever to idle, that's still the auto throttle system or auto thrust system is still engaged? Well, uh, I don't know how that works. I've never flown an Airbus, so... I mean, how would you Let disengage me, the auto? No, once you, uh, once you start moving the throttle manually, uh, mm-hmm. that that engine should respond at that thrust position, but I don't okay. know about the other engine. Yeah. You can have one engine at idle and the other engine still in auto thrust. You can have one engine out, mm-hmm. off, and the other engine still working with auto thrust because they did mention that it changed power change during the approach were they changing it or was the other thrust changing so you so if you take if you take the engine uh, if you take the, the the thrust lever out of the out of the uh flex mct or climb detent and then you take it to the area where it, it moves around it's uh, is is that when you have manual control of the engine is that how that works on airbuses you do either either you can either turn off the other thrust or you can start moving the lever yeah Okay, gotcha. Yeah, in order for auto thrust to have control of the engine, you must be in the climb or the flex MCT in, in the, the detent. Gotcha. Yeah. Detent, yeah. I don't know enough about it. Looks like he, he, he had it out of the detent, at least for the mm. number one. I'm not sure about the number yeah, two. Yeah, it was the number two that I was thinking about because oh, okay. that's his only good engine. Yeah. So, uh, question. Um, yeah, I, I, and don't forget, I'm out of the cockpit for quite a while now, so I may be missing some details here. Oh no! And, and what you mentioned about the inlet guide vanes—that's that's that is really good stuff because, yes, as as you said, Nick, as Nick said here, the uh, the the engine, uh, the way those inlet guide vanes work through the either electronic engine controls or the FADEC is with fuel, because as you increase or decrease uh, the you know thrust, obviously you increase or decrease. The uh, demand for fuel to that engine, and so the demand for airflow, smooth airflow through that engine, is uh, it changes as well. So that's not it's not something that is that is constant all the while. So if you get those particles into those uh, inlet guide vanes, you know that the, the actuating mechanism, then as you change the thrust requirement, the inlet guide vanes might not correspond to your new uh, air requirement. You might start getting a little bit of a you know burbling air and uh and uh, just not 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 smooth airflow through critical parts of the engine and that might lead to another uh, uh you know backfire situation there that and that's the last thing you want when that, when, when you're dealing with something like that i think one of our news yeah. items um a couple from now uh we're going to talk a little bit about um a situation where uh the um to gain control over the engine you go to a manual override mode and again that kind of takes out all those automatic features that the uh, FADEC and engine control monitoring system or whatever it's called uh, do for you. So, um, Yeah. The only other point I'd like to make is concerning the engineer's documentation. Now, most many of us would know what PPM was. The fact that he couldn't find uh, a reference for that so he could work out what it actually meant is a major concern for me. Not perhaps for, so much from his education and background as an engineer, but from the documentation. The documentation doesn't have to be 
difficult. It shouldn't be difficult. Doing these calculations should be clearly laid out. There should be an example uh, calculation so that he yeah. can see, make a gross error <laughs> check on what he's doing. It yeah. should be simple for him to follow, and it obviously wasn't. So, and in, in well, my experience, these are. I'm sorry, Stephanie. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was no, just going to say I'm, it's it's concerning to me because one of the things that we're always taught too is, you know, it's okay if you don't know the answer to something or you've not encountered something before, but as part of your professionalism, you should be able to either know where to look it up, find the resources for it, or find someone who does and not be so um, sure of your own um, uh, ability to figure it out on your own that you're not willing to do those things. So I'm just concerned that that, that's that's a very uh, human feeling. I uh, I agree. Mindset that he's following but anyway. i don't think it had that problem had the manuals be better written oh i yeah. agree with you 100 percent. i mean the manuals should be better written but yeah. you know nothing in life is ever that there's yeah. a lot of things in life that aren't that straightforward sometimes yeah, that, that's what i was going to say and in, in my experience I'll, I'll you know every every time there's there's something that uh, that that requires something like this it's usually spelled out in the amm i i don't i don't understand why this wouldn't be something as critical as this you know so yeah no, I think that's definitely an Airbus failing. Their manuals had never been good. They, they've improved over the years. But when we started, the, the franglais that they were written in was almost indecipherable. Uh, and the, I think Airbus have worked very hard at certainly improving the pilot's manuals. But I don't think that's necessarily filtered down to the engineer's stuff. Well, I mean, don't, don't you guys have like three FCOMs to refer to every time you have a failure or something? Well, we used to, but now, of course, we're all electronic, and they oh. cross-reference all the time. So okay. that's a great advantage of having an EFB as yeah, an electronic yeah. manual. So Absolutely. you can just at a tap, and they're all uh, highlighted with um, you know links like that move you right? from one document to the other. And they they really have tried to you know, put everything in the in the same place. But you're quite right, Rick. When we started, uh, you know, the poor bloke who was trying to uh, do the um, checking up of all the documents concerning your emergency often had his three fingers in the QRH and three books open in his, his lap uh, and to find that the answer was actually in a fourth book. So <laughs> that was, you know, it was dreadful. Wow. I'm wondering too, if this just comes from a recent experience I had with um, doing some home improvement projects and trying to install things that came with uh, instruction manuals um, that, you know, are supposed to be fairly clearly written. Um, do you ever run into, because um, we know that English is the uh, universal language in aviation, but for some of these manufacturers, if they're not um, headquartered in a predominantly English-speaking country, do you find that you get instructions that are translated from a different language into English and perhaps don't come across as clearly? Um, I was just dealing with something like that this past weekend, which I don't know if that's a factor or not, but might be a yeah. reason why things aren't as clear as... They might otherwise seem that and pictograms, which I can. I mean, IKEA does those. I mean, <laughs> bless their cotton socks. I can never make head nor tail of what they're trying to get me to do with those yeah. all those little pictures. No, the problem with IKEA is that the parts actually just don't fit together. The picture is clear, but you can't, it doesn't matter. You can't assemble it anyway. It's like it's like you buy a dresser and you end up with a uh, I don't know a nightstand. Like, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't look anything like. It's like what picture? Different color too. And I was just, I was just thinking about this because you know I wasn't familiar with the. Not that I know much of this stuff, but whoever makes the, um, the additive, the biocide, you know what, com what country does that come from? If it comes with different instructions or something like that. Well, and the, uh, yeah. the the engineers that wrote the manuals probably thought, well, what? Who doesn't know what parts per million is? <laughs> and how to figure that out? Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. More, more human. Come on. Yeah. 
actor yeah. stuff for sure. <sighs> okay. Well, that was a good discussion. Well, you know, talking about a complicated thing and manuals and and solutions and such, uh, item C. Uh, you know, we talked about this on an earlier episode where there were some instances of uh, Airbus A350s that um, inadvertently had engine shutdowns due to liquid spills in the center pedestal control panels. And it's not news. something that ever happens on the APG show either. No, no, we so never have liquid never spills here. <laughs> Haven't had one in a while, so knock on wood. Uh, Airbus has developed a removable cover for A350 integrated control panels designed to protect vital systems from inadvertent liquid spills in the cockpit after two incidents which preceded uncommanded engine shutdown. The cover, which protects engine master levers, or levers if you prefer, thumb wheels and rotary knobs, needs to be removed during critical phases, flight phases, including takeoff, approach, and landing. But outside of these, such as during the cruise, the cover must be fitted according to a directive from the European Union Aviation Safety Agency. And so I guess it's just a clear piece of plastic that goes over that critical area in the center pedestal um, to keep, if you do spill your tea or your coffee, it doesn't get into the electronics and shut down engines, which is not so a good just thing. wrap it in saran wrap and call it a day. That's what I would have done. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember posting something about this on my Twitter a little while ago. It was a cu- it was a sippy cup. It, oh, that, I really think I saw that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems to work quite fine. But you know what? How do you it's just just got to be a pain because you know you're you're cruising along and you're getting frequency changes and all that and uh, you know I guess I'd, you'd have to you know lift it up and just dial the frequency in and then. I'm guessing it just covers the sender bit, uh, Rick, just inside the uh, audio control panels. Okay. So you should be all right. But it's a practical solution until they can beef up the waterproof qualities of the switches. Why on (laughs) earth they put switches in there that weren't waterproof, I do not know. Yeah, they're talking about how they can make, you know, phones, you know, can drop them and I don't know how many meters of water, the latest one, and yeah. it not affect the electronics of the phone. You know, yeah, why like can't three they? Three meters, like 10 feet or something. Yeah, at right? least. Yeah. yeah, it's not like you've got to fly at three meters under the water, but... Uh, <laughs> That'd be a lot be of nice coffee. if, if it not. could withstand the odd splash. And here's another thing. A lot of airlines, I remember when I used to fly for, uh, for Acme South, and even here, um, whenever you're passing a drink to one of the, uh, you know, Flight crew members, you'll, you'll just go around the right-hand side for the FO, the left-hand side for the captain, and stay away from that center pedestal there. That would, ah, you're just making mit- common sense now. Come on. M- mitigate a yeah. lot of stuff. So uh, Stop it. You know. Well, that's exactly right. And most air- sensible airlines have that procedure, uh, Rick. So I, I have no idea what was wrong with this outfit or the outfits that had the problem. Did it have to do with where the like places where you could store your cup were installed? No, they're, they're outboard. They're, yeah, uh, they're not anywhere yeah. near the center. No. Okay. Nope. Yeah. No, it, it's just it's just the inconvenience of having to turn away from the person behind you and receive the cup around the what so it appears to be Nick. the wrong side it's of so the difficult. seat. So difficult. Yeah. Uh, apparently, so Acme difficult. does not or did not have that policy. <laughs> <laughs> and the sippy cups, yeah, quite right. In fact, Airbus have we now do have finally cups. come out with sippy cups. We do. I mean, we have the, the what we call the pilot cups uh, with the little tops on them. You know. And every time I someone like sippy cups. Do they, they give you little bibs with a, <laughs> yeah. a, a fold-up yeah. bit at the bottom to catch the food as well? Uh huh. Well, we don't get food, so that doesn't matter. Oh. <laughs> food. So sad. Hmm. 
Anyway, well, I'm glad they temporarily fixed this problem anyway. Um, item D. Uh, so we talked also about this on earlier shows. Where, you know, 5G, that's the latest generation of um, wireless uh, cellul- cellular service. And uh, um, there was, was, was it about a year ago or so, or maybe longer, where there was a company called LightSquared that was pushing to use permission to begin terrestrial 5G cellular and data services on frequencies it owns that were intended for satellite use. The proposal caused divisions among government agencies as well as major corporations. And then basically they said, yeah, that's not going to work because there are a lot of things that uh, um, really depend upon the the signals not being scrambled, like, you know, navigation of of uh, aircraft and satellites and other things. Um, so it looks like this company basically changed their name <laughs> and it's called Legato, L-I-G-A-D-O. And uh, recently they advanced their 5G wireless plan with an approval from the Federal Communications Commission. Yes, fooled them. Yeah. Uh, so commercial and general aviation interests are both opposed to the new plan. This is, by the way, from the EAA.org as it could cause interference with GPS signals increasingly relied upon for air traffic separation and aircraft navigation, including precision and non-precision instrument approaches. The Department of Defense has also come out strongly against the proposal as a technology that could cost billions of dollars to replace GPS equipment in military aircraft. And uh, the EAA Vice President of Advocacy and Safety said, it seems very odd that at the same time, the, e- the FAA is increasingly relying upon GPS technology for everything from ADSB and NextGen to tracking unmanned aerial systems in the national airspace. Another government agency would approve a plan that would degrade that technology and make aviation less safe. It was a bad proposal a decade ago, and it remains so. Supporter- Sounds just like government efficiency. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, here's, a, here's something interesting. Uh, supporters of the plan which includes some of the country's largest telecommunications conglomerates and some White House advisors (laughs) maintain that the plan is needed to fully integrate 5G technology throughout the country, including such innovations as driverless cars and smart home technology, which is way, way more important than the safety of our airliners and military airplanes flying around. Wouldn't you say? Still opposed to driverless cars. Me too. And always will be. Yep. Me too. I don't think we're going to see it actually. Anyway, uh, so we'll see what happens there, but it looks like a big, uh uh-oh, that's not a good idea. Who thought that that was a good idea? I don't know. All right. Not really much to say about that. Let's move to this one, which is a really interesting one, I think. This just happened a few days ago, uh, the 23rd of April, I believe. We're recording the show now on the 30th. Um, A boutique Pilatus PC-12 crashed north of Mesquite Airport, which is not too far from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, um, due to engine failure. Actually, it's kind of engine loss of power. I don't know if it completely failed or not. And uh, let's see. The uh, Well, so I have a couple of ways of doing that. There's a YouTube... Um, video that uh, Vass Aviation uh, put out, which is really good. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to play the whole thing. Um, Might play just a little bit of it, though, um, where we can hear some of the air traffic control communications um, of the flight. It was a uh, ferry flight, a uh, repositioning flight, only one pilot, no passengers. 
and they were taking off, or he was taking off from Dallas-Fort Worth and ferrying the airplane, well, intending to, uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And uh, let me see, I did not set this up, so let me move that over here. Again, Vass Aviation YouTube channel, Epilatus PC-12, performing flight 902 from Dallas to Muscle Shoals, was climbing through 7,000 feet when the pilot reported having issues with the engine and losing power. And in this video, we have an overlay, a radar overlay. Boom, seek 902, climb and maintain 8,000. I maintain 8,000, 902. Southwest 142, turn right, heading 150. Rate 150, Southwest 142. Okay, there was somebody else there. Thrust 282, Addison Tower 126.0. Thrust 202, also contact Addison Tower 126.0. 26.0, Other aircraft calling, go ahead. Yeah, this is 902. I'm losing power on my engine. Boutique 902, roger. Uh, same tension. I'm going to go to Rockwell. Boutique Okay, so uh, what we have here so far is that he's kind of explaining on the radio for, for some reason um, exactly what he's looking at and experiencing, and uh, I think he's making a good decision right off the bat. I'm going to get this thing on the ground. Let's go to this airport that's only three miles from where I am right now. I'll get some vectors and get it on the ground, and then we'll figure out what's going on later. Boutique 902, do you want to stay in that area and uh, troubleshoot the problem, or what would you like to do? Uh, right now, we're actually going to be stable. Let's, uh, how far am I from DFW? Uh, Boutique 902, you're about to uh, three zero miles east of DSW report. All right, let me turn around and go back to DFW direct. Boutique 902 is clear to DFW airport via rudder vectors. Turn right heading 250, stand by for the runway. 250, uh, heading right turn. 902. Boutique 902, turn right heading 260, expect runway 31 right. The altimeter at DFW is 2976, and the wind is 320 at 9 or just 14. On the control, so it looks like I'm losing this engine. Uh, let's get back to, uh, uh, back to, uh, what, what was that, Rockwell? Uh, Boutique 902, the Mesquite Airport's 11 o'clock and about 3 miles. Recommend you go there. There's traffic east of the field moving eastbound into case 2000. If able, fly heading 220. Alright, coming to the 220. Looks like I have a runway at my uh, 1230, 1 o'clock. Boutique affirmative, that is Mesquite Airport. Uh, runway 18 and runway 36 are available. Roger that. 
2902 the field, 10 o'clock and 2 miles. Did you want to take a visual approach out there? Uh, Roger, I'm going to do a 360. It's going to go into a, a left base for um, uh, the I guess at this point he's a little bit high, so he wants to do a 360 away from the airport um, to, I guess, lose some altitude. Boutique 902, Roger. Boutique 902, did you want runway 36 or runway 18 there? Runway 36. Boutique 902, is clipped to the first runway 36. But he looks like he's setting up for 18. Boutique 902, contact Mesquite Tower 120.3. 120.3. Roger. Mesquite Tower 120.3, contact Mesquite Boutique 902, Mesquite Tower, I understand you're setting up for runway 18, is that correct? That's affirmative. I think I'm on the left base for it right now. Gear coming down. Boutique 902, Roger, you're going to land with the tailwind, the wind 010 at 5, runway 18, clear to land. Clear to land. Um, do you have the insight, sir? Boutique 902, looking uh, not quite yet. Uh, you're northeast of us about three miles. Oh, correction, I've got you in sight now. You're clear to land, runway 18. And then um, he sets himself up for a, a left base and runs out of energy and ends up uh, stalling the airplane and crashing short of the Mesquite Airport. Um, the uh, a very hard touchdown um apparently the pilatus pc12 is designed so that if it pancakes in like this uh, the the wings are actually designed to separate from the fuselage and uh and so that's what happened in this case both wings came off and the fuselage traveled a little bit further not a lot and the pilot of the uh, aircraft was uh still in the cockpit with some injuries and uh, I'm going to go ahead and play this video from a good Samaritan that happened to be at the Mesquite Airport, saw what was happening, and went to uh, see if he could help the the pilot or passengers. He, at this point, he didn't know how many people were on the airplane. And so let me uh, see if I can find that. In the moments after a small plane came hurtling towards the ground. I didn't, didn't look survivable. didn't look good. Stephen Glasscock said there wasn't time to think, hopping into a stranger's passenger seat from Mesquite's airport, then back on foot over a barbed wire fence. The field that I was running through was uh, was extremely muddy. It was hard to uh, it was hard to run through. It was almost like a nightmare because it's like when you can't run uh, is what it felt like. Um, the boots were just bogging down in the mud. And that's when I heard someone scream. A sign that the down plane's pilot was alive and in need of serious help. Aerial video shows Glasscock there in the white t-shirt, among the first responders who showed up in the moments after he pulled the pilot from nearby flames and cut power to the fuselage. It's something he easily knew how to do, as Glasscock, a flight instructor, found himself dealing with the exact plane he once flew. It's, it's kind of surreal. Um, it really is that um, just happened to be there. Helping to make sure this tragedy had a happy ending. I told him, I was like, man, it's going to be okay, man. You're alive. In Mesquite, Alley Spilliards, NBC5. Okay, that was from the uh, NBC affiliate there. Uh, so it turns out that the uh, guy that helped the... Um... Council of Dads returns to NBC... Oh, thank you. Sorry, I'm trying to get back to the story. Anyway, he uh, used to fly for a boutique, 
and uh, was checked out on that airplane. So uh, he, he knew exactly how to secure the airplane, and uh, and then he dragged the pilot out of the cockpit. And uh, in the article here, it said that um, he was injured really badly, so every time I attempted to pick him up, he screamed. And I said, I know it hurts, man, but I've got to get you out of here. And he said, I know. Apparently, he broke both of his legs. But, uh, yeah, um, so Ouch. it was a pretty hard touchdown, obviously. So, um, there you go. Um, let's see, what was I going to say? So I don't, you know, NG, I'm not familiar. I've never flown a turboprop, so I'm not, um, Dana, what, do you know what that means? Um, NG? Uh, I don't, I, I did at one point in my yeah, it's life. Been a while. Yeah. It's been so long since I've actually thought of that. I'm mean, going to talk almost 15 years, so. I don't remember. What about you, Rick? Do you remember? Mm, I know I've never flown a turboprop myself, but uh, I I don't know what NG is now. So, so, so high, some road, high pressure compressor. Oh, so kind of like M1 then I would imagine. I think so. In a turboprop. Yeah. Or Might get yeah. some guidance from the chat room from. Oh, okay. Uh, Thank you. Maybe. I don't, uh, I don't. I don't know what kind of uh, what kind of engines uh, these PC12s have, but a lot of a lot of times these PT6. Uh, PT6. Okay, so it's so it's a so it's a free turbine mm-hmm. with reverse flow. Basically, the, uh, the, uh, the the prop is not it's not connected to the engine itself. It's just it's it's run by reverse flow from the engine, and it it, it, it turns in a an impeller, and that's what turns the prop. Yeah. But I don't know what what NG is. Yeah, NG was ta- he was referring to percentages. It was a ninety two percent, then it dropped yeah, to forty nine. So it's got to be a compressor. Uh, it's the high pressure okay. compressor, yeah. as okay. far as I can tell. Yeah, gotcha. So anyway, um, so you're you're in a situation. The air, the engine is not behaving the way it's supposed to. Obviously, it's startling to the pilot. Uh, he at first he sees this airport out there. It's only three miles away. You know, let's go ahead and, or at least the air traffic controller suggested that he go there. And so that sounded like he he was a game for that idea. And then mm-hmm. when the engine started recovering a little bit, and perhaps uh, the kind of suggestion by the air traffic controller, do you want to? troubleshoot over there and work this thing out and then where do you want to go or you know so that that may have been a factor as well and then he's thinking hmm maybe that's a good idea maybe i can limp this thing back to dallas fort worth 30 miles to my west uh, which was a mistake as we now know uh, because the engine got worse and then he had to try to put it into mesquite i think he was a little confused about where he was in relation to the airport he wasn't sure that he was looking at the mesquite airport he said you know i think i'm on the left base do you see me that kind of indicates to me that he's not absolutely 100 percent sure that he's identified the proper airport and then uh, the uh, tower controller at mesquite says yep i see you now you're on the left base and um and he just got a little bit too too slow by the way there's a really really good discussion you should and i've always mentioned um juan's um uh, YouTube channel, Blanca Lirio, uh, Juan Brown, I believe. And uh, he discusses this incident uh, for an entire YouTube video. And he talks about, uh, he goes into some of the um, operations manual and quick, um, uh, the QRH for the PC-12 and what you're, you're supposed to do in these situations. And he talks about a manual control lever, I think, or a manual control override or something that you can use to kind of uh, get a little bit, regain control of an engine, basically taking out all that automated circuitry that we were talking about in the earlier Airbus Titan A321 incident, uh, where you might be able to keep the engine running um, and, you know, get it on the ground safely. And uh, so I recommend we'll put that in the show notes so you can uh, check out Juan, uh, Juan's uh, Blanco Lirio channel and his coverage of the um, 
of the uh, accident. And oh, one more video I wanted to show you all before we uh, go into any more discussion here. And it's somebody at the Mesquite Airport actually uh, took some video of the PC-12 uh, on its left base and final and then, of course, the uh, ultimate crash. Here's yep. some actual footage shot by Steve Nabbers, left base entry to runway 18 with a tailwind, out a five-knot tailwind. And right there, he's stalling the aircraft. And the stick pusher is saving his life. More on that later. Then it goes down. Okay, so that's uh, actually uh, from the uh, Blancolirio channel and his analysis of this crash. So definitely worth um, uh, checking that out. And now... Let's discuss. What do you all think about this? Yeah, I've got a question, yeah. first of all. Uh, am I right in saying he did a, an orbit to get rid of height and he turned away from the airfield? I, that's what I'm I'm surmising happened. Instead of going over the top of the airport and circling and setting yourself up, I think he did it when he was still a few miles away from the airport. Yeah, if you, if you were watching the um, radar uh, as he was coming in, flying south towards uh, the runway, he actually then turned to the left to away. make an orbit away and come mm -hmm. back. Yeah, so that's going to be my first clue here as to how he possibly got himself too low on a practice force. Or it wasn't a, it was a real force landing, wasn't an actual mm -hmm. force landing, uh, in that he didn't really have perspective on the runway and the airfield and his environment to work out how well this turn was going uh, and he just lost too much hide in that. So I, I, I'm asking particularly Dana, who's probably, uh, and Steph, of course, who have both received instruction and this kind of thing on prop driven echo many, more, much more recently than me. Is that something that your instructor would comment on? If you he, tried that? He, he absolutely did everything wrong. Yeah. If you ask my opinion, he did as a, as a single engine, whether it be a turbine aircraft or a single-engine piston-driven aircraft, uh, he was uh, did everything wrong. Uh, I definitely never would have gone towards Dallas. I definitely would have head straight towards the closest airfield that was had the, the uh, a piece of concrete. And if I was too high, I would have circled you know over the numbers so I can make it down uh, over you know <clears throat> over to the, the runway. Then uh, you know even looking at his base turn, he's he squared it off. Why he squared it off to me is is beyond my my real understanding. I mean, you go straight for the numbers, and then the last thing he did wrong is he tried to hold the nose of the aircraft off. Well, no, you push the nose over, keep your airspeed until you have to flare the airplane to put it down on whatever surface. And there was a lot of uh, flat surface out there for him to put it down instead of stalling the aircraft, you know, 50, 60, 70, I don't know how many feet above the ground it was, but, you know, yeah, the stick pusher did save him, but that was, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, and, and it's just my opinion only, um, and, you know, I'm no, no official, um, no official uh, representative of anybody or anything, but as a flight instructor and knowing what you need to do, that everything he did wrong. Yeah. yeah. So first thing, fly the aircraft. So, you yes. know, if you have a best glide speed, um, you want to maintain that. You want to pick your, your landing site. Um, if, if it's something where it's definitely an emergency, you want to fly to that point. You want to set yourself up for the best chance to actually uh, land on that um, 
I'll fix your hair, Jane. Why why am I being selected? I did not do that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do it either. But anyway, you know, you want to, you want to, so for me, flying primarily anyways these days uh, single engine aircraft any sign of an engine issue i'm going someplace where i can land immediately um, i'm not going to mess around with that even if it seems like the problem magically fixes itself or starts running better um, it's better to be on the ground get that checked out maybe that's not the day to go flying um, and especially if you're you've got options nearby you know being three miles away from from an airport with six thousand feet um, of altitude is sounds reasonable um so yeah, I, I agree with the the points Dana made from certainly from a flight instructor standpoint. That's what I've been been taught. Mm, absolutely, I, I agree completely. And just as you said, Steffi, you 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 are single engine already, and the one engine you have seems to be no, not having the best of days. So at the first indication, I don't understand why you'd even. I mean. I can see how, from an operational standpoint, you know, the airline's maintenance facilities back in Dallas and all that other stuff. But uh, man, that's that's your only engine. So if, mm-hmm. if 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 you can put it down safely and 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 conserve that what it, whatever little power that engine is still providing, just just get it on the ground and figure it out, you know, later. Uh, but yeah. uh, and, and I agree with Dan as well. You know, if you want if you want to. Um, just, just, just circle over the numbers and just give yourself, you know, just, yeah. just try to stack everything in your favor, not, not, not against you. And, it, you know, I think this is a good illustration where you can see whereas things become uh, considerably more uh, task saturating, how much more difficult it is to pay attention to things that seem like they should be very simple. Like all of a sudden your situational awareness is diminished so much because you're dealing with a true emergency. It's right. hard to even know which direction you're flying and where the closest airport is to you, even if you may have known that, you know, three minutes before all of this really started going. Oh, and, um, and that and that happens a lot in the simulator, actually. I mean, you, you, you start getting task, uh, task saturated and your vision just starts, you know, yeah. narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. Mm-hmm. You, you start looking through this tunnel mm-hmm. and you, you, you really, and that's why uh, it's, it's, it's funny how, and I understand this is a single pilot operation, but in uh, and, um, and, uh, multi-pilot uh, flight decks, oftentimes you'll have the observer seat right between the, pi- the captain and the first officer. And we call that the smart seat because it uh, it uh, it gives you uh, 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 you know a wide angle lens view of the entire of the entire cockpit, and you from that seat are able to see things that we sitting up front often miss, which are which can be you know as ridiculous as as, as not putting the landing gear down, you know stuff like that. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you start getting tax saturated. You know, you start you know getting that tunnel vision. You, you know, Rick, I agree with agree with uh, Steph. You excellent said, Rick. I agree with you as well. But there's something very basic here that I am in disagreement with, and that is these these decisions that were made were basic flying 101 decisions that were missed and it's not task saturation here. I think what's going on is that this person is is was. And, and I'm, I can't get into that person's mind, but you know you're right. They're, they're, he was more worried about getting the aircraft back to a maintenance base and preserving the 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 aircraft for the company or or costs or whatever else. But it was very much the wrong decision. Oh, yeah. Very very much very much uh, you know basic flying here and basic aeronautical decision making uh, to me was 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 flawed in just the way I saw him flying the aircraft, uh, the way he was interacting. Uh, you know, point the aircraft towards the closest piece of concrete uh, with a single-engine airplane. End of conversation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Boutique operates that airplane with two uh, flight crew mm-hmm. members on normal passenger operations, but oh, because this was, okay. a, this was a, a, ferry a ferry flight, so maybe again that was a factor. You know, he's not oh, used yeah. to being by himself, mm-hmm. um, and and having somebody else there to kind of help manage the the situation. But uh, also on the Blancolirio channel, his analysis of this uh, it has some really good footage from. Pilatus itself and the fact that how it was cert- the way they got the thing certified because I guess it has really nasty uh, stall characteristics uh, and again they have some mm-hmm. footage of that and it's very impressive to see actually in a negative way how the airplane operates and when it stalls and it's pretty pretty violent and the fact that they had to have that stick pusher in there uh, for certification and that may have been what kept this guy from killing himself at the very yep. end. Exactly. Saved him. Anyway, so there you have it. Um, uh, Luckily, uh, fortunately, um, it was only the the pilot on board. Uh, It's not a good thing that he um, suffered some serious injury, but he lived through it. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Sounds like there was a a very uh, fortuitous uh, situation with that Good Samaritan, too, who was familiar with the aircraft and first on scene there. Yeah. Very much so. Well, I was going to ask you about that, Steph, actually. Mm. Because yeah, I, fire, I wasn't going to get into that. Uh, yeah, the fire the was back there with the wings, which yeah. cleverly yeah. came off. And the fuselage didn't look like, I mean, there's some scorch marks around there, so it may have looked different when he got there. Yeah. But the fuselage looked relatively safe. So if guys been very badly injured, would you want to drag him out of the seat? So first thing you're going to do if you if you find yourself in this situation where you're that first responder that's there on a scene and, um, it, you know, some of this comes down to your knowledge of what potentially could happen in this situation. Um, but if it was something where you could assess and say, look, there's really no risk of fire here or any other bad things happening in the fuselage or in the cockpit, uh, you know, the, the wings have separated, that's where the fuel tank is, it's far enough away. I'm not concerned about it. If you have someone who's significantly injured, you know, even if they're awake and talking to you and can kind of tell you what hurts the most, um, I, I always look at everything from a spine perspective because that's what I deal with. But you worry about spinal injuries and you really don't want to move someone unless you've secured their spine in in a high impact uh injury situation like that if you don't have to. Now, if you have to, if there's uh, immediate danger to, um, uh, you know, being alive in the first place, if there's fire nearby, if there's uh, anything anything like that going on, uh, you want to get that person out of the <clears throat> situation and usually only if it's safe for you to enter that environment as well because you don't want to have two casualties. And- cool. So I, I'm happy to accept that he did the right thing because he was there right there. So if there had been really a lot you know, of fire around. That if it was a, a large fire, if there was a lot of brush in the area, you think of Dallas on a hot late spring yeah. day, um, if there was risk of that fire spreading, you know, that that probably may have been the right decision to get him as far away from that fuels or fire source as possible. Yeah. Cool. It's Thanks. hard to tell from pictures. Yeah. All right. Very good. Again, highly recommend the um, Blanca Lirio, uh analysis of this and other good, good stuff that he has uh, on his uh, video, and that'll be in the show notes. And with that, I think it's now time for us to move on to Getting to Know Us. Thought we could uh, just go ahead and leave the couple of extra news items in there for our next show. So, Steph, how have you been? 
I have been good. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. I've been doing a lot more talking, it feels like, than than usual. seems like doing all of my work from a, a remote location and being on video calls and telephone calls all day long. It's it's really kind of causing my voice to feel scratchy at times. I'm sorry we're making you talk even more. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm getting getting better at it. It's just training. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've been I've been really good. Um, you know, when did we do the show last week? It was, it was like Thursday, Thursday, Wednesday. Just Wednesday? trying to think what know. I've done in the it meantime. Maybe so. Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, no real big changes with uh, with work situation. I know we've talked a lot about how pandemic has affected all affected all of that, um, except with the the news that we're going to be reopening some limited clinic hours next week. So I'll kind of be half in the office, half not in the office, trying to keep people who are probably more vulnerable to uh, severe infections at home so we can we can continue to provide um, remote services for them, but see the people that we absolutely need to see in the office in the office. So that'll be a change for, for next week. So it's going to be a lot of constant schedule changing over the next few weeks, I think, um, which I'm sure is is applicable to everyone else here. Um, from a flying standpoint, had a, a lot of fun this past weekend. I got to take out a, um, a Pipistrel Alpha Trainer, so just a light sport aircraft for something different, something fun to do. Um, super fun little aircraft. Um, I took it there, the uh, flight school that I rented it from, they're brand new to the flight school, so they're not actually just renting them to um, solo renters as of yet. You have to fly with one of their instructors. This plane only had 59 hours on it, I think. Um, the weather wasn't super great for doing a lot of, uh, stuff. We had kind of lower ceilings, but it was perfectly fine for doing some pattern work. And we actually had some like late range hours kind of the whole time we were out there, but, um, it made for really nice still air. So that was, that was nice. It was actually good flying. Um, man, that thing sits super low to the ground. So for those who aren't familiar with it, um, it weighs like 600 pounds. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. That's light. And the max takeoff weight is like 1,202, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, it's it's really light. Uh, so I've heard that on, on uh, gusty days and stuff, you really get you feel everything. You just get bumped around. And if you, um, I have some pictures I can, can send to you when you're sitting in the, um, the cockpit, there's actually a metal support bar. That's if you're kind of on the taller side and I'm kind of average height to on the taller side, it's like right above my head. I'm like, I'm, if I'm going to fly this thing on a not as nice day, I'm going to need a pool noodle or something to cut and put <laughs> there. So I don't bang my head into the, into the metal support. Yeah, bar. I was looking at that stuff. That doesn't seem very well positioned piece of, I mean, the uh, thing, so it's, it's, yeah, the thing is tiny. It's really small. It's made for, um, I was talking with my, my brother about it and he said, oh, so it's basically made for, for like Tom Cruise, someone who's like five <laughs> four and 150 pounds. And I said, yeah, that's, that's about right. No perfect. one else can fit this thing. Um, <laughs> and even though I'm kind of on the taller side for it, I'm on the lighter side because you actually, for the, the, uh, weight and balance and center of gravity. If you're going to fly the thing solo, you have to, the minimum weight for a solo pilot is 121 pounds. And on a good, on a cold day with a jacket and some boots. We don't close. want to hear your problems. Uh, I was just saying, my left leg weighs more than you do. <laughs> I have to get Taco yeah. to sit on my lap while I fly the thing. He's um, got 18 pounds, so put us into the, into the envelope there. Nice. Um, put a 12 cool. pack you know, of beer on your lap. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I'm sure that would go over well with the ramp check. No, no, it's just my ballast here. It's fine. I'm not actually going yeah, to drink this after the flight, obviously. Um, <laughs> oh, hopefully, Taco has a strong stomach. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Interesting little aircraft, though. Um, this particular model runs on car gas, MoGas. So nice. uh, oh. it, uh, like 3.6 gallons per hour or something fuel flow. Wow, that's um, good. And it'll go 100 knots easy. Um, wow. It's kind of odd because the RPM uh, tachometer is all uh, engine RPM. So you're looking at like 5,500 RPM when you for, for power when you take hey, off. Hey, I used to fly a jet engine with RPM. Yeah. 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 The Hunter had, didn't have a percentage gauge, it an actual RPM gauge. When yeah, because you, usually uh, you're looking at prop uh, RPM, though, in, in small piston aircraft. This one, you're looking at the engine RPM. So it's a little, it's like, whoa, that seems really high. Oh, okay, that's engine <laughs> RPM. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> wow. To get used to that. Um, and the other interesting thing about it, um, it doesn't have toe brakes. It just has a center brake that you kind of, just a lever that you lift up on. And the more you lift up on it, the stronger it breaks. And then it's got a little locking mechanism to put it into into place. So absolutely have to make sure that that's on and locked before you start the thing. Otherwise it acts like a seaplane and you just take off, you know, down the, <laughs> down the taxiway as soon as you turn on the, uh, start the aircraft. Um, wow. but yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's like I said, though, it's so low to the ground. You come into land that thing and you're like, Oh, I'm going to bump my butt on the ground as I touch down here. <laughs> um, I, and now you know how I feel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, get it's in this relative. thing and then you'll really be like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> So it was it was fun, just something different to do. Um, I'm going to go out and probably fly it a few more times, and then when they do open it up for for rentals, have that as a, an option as well. So uh, it's just different. Well, it's it's nice. Like it's fun. got you know, it's got these bat wing doors that are made out of basically plexiglass, so really cool visibility out the side all the way down to basically where you're you're sitting hmm. in the the cab the cockpit. So wow. yeah, very um, cool. How yeah, much does one of those theories. things cost, Steph? Man, there's like seventy thousand dollars, or Ooh. between seventy thousand and a hundred and something, depending Not on what much you more than a Jeep. Put into. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, my real question is though, can I put this thing on floats? Because Ooh. it's small enough, it'll yeah. fit on my dock in the back. Do they make them with floats? I don't think so. Ah. I think that's a. I yeah, think there are some option. sport uh, or whatever. I'm, I'm sure uh, there are. I have, have to, to look yeah. into it. So. And 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 think about how much uh, savings you would have by using auto gas with that. Right your- now, I filled up my so auto gas here right now is a dollar fifty four a gallon, and I filled up my car last night for like twenty eight bucks. Nice. At Costco, it's dollar twenty four nine. And this thing only has a thirteen point two gallon tank anyway, so you're never gonna spend a huge amount, even with more expensive gas, filling it up. And the gas, the the tank is right behind you, like basically in the. <laughs> if you saw so to to visually check the quantity, all you have to do is pull the seat cushion over a little bit, and it's got a kind of transparent uh, fuel tank there that you can can actually. See. You just listen for the sloshing. Yeah. Ah, you still oh, you gas. can if you yeah you can you can slosh it around. <laughs> wow, you can do that in a Cessna too. But doesn't tell you how much you have. Anyway, very cool. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Well, look forward to hearing more about that airplane. Yeah, I'll send you some of those pictures so you can put them into the uh, the show notes if you want. Yeah, I'm sure so, I'll do that. So it's like a little, <laughs> a little longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he won't. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, send send those pictures over. I'll put them in there. Yeah. Um. Excellent. Anything else? Uh, that was the most uh, most interesting stuff. Uh, okay. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Um, Rick, have you been doing anything interesting in your in your flying life? Well, uh, getting reacquainted with the 767, I've been um, just finishing up um, uh, operating experience here, and uh, I was delighted to get an email from the uh, fleet captain saying that I only have to do the the the, the short um, OE because there's uh, short 
operating experience and enhanced operating experience and um, short operating experience is uh, uh, four flight sectors and 25 hours versus uh, six flight sectors and 40 hours. Um, so I've been doing the short one, thankfully, because I've, I flew this thing before and, and, and um, yeah, that's, that, that worked out to my advantage there. Uh, did a couple of did a couple of oceanic flights. Went out to uh, Hawaii last week. Uh, dealt with the uh, ETOPS procedures, um, extended twin engine operation uh, operation procedures. It's basically you know long over water procedures on two engines and everything that that entails. Uh, long range navigation type stuff, and uh, just enjoying the airplane a lot. I tell you, it's like uh, it's like like riding a bike. It's it's like I never left. And the cool thing about this 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 these few trips is that a lot of the planes that I've been flying. I used to fly when there were passenger jets at Acme South. So uh, going through my uh, going through my logbook, um, just you know trying to trying to figure out when was <laughs> the last time. I, yeah, before. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like actually flown this plane before, so it's uh, it kind of it it kind of you know brings everything you know full circle, which is which is which is it's it's interesting here. Uh, another thing. Um, Getting used to the uh, getting used to the DHL and the Am- the uh, Amazon operation. That's it. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's it just runs like clockwork. You know, it's it's because I'm used. I was used on the 747 um, with a lot of these um, with a lot of the AMC flying and Department of Defense stuff and 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 really a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the people that contract that our, our aircraft for 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 freight. Uh, you would get a flight assigned. A slot, and then you'd start getting a rolling delay, not because of us, but because of the customer. Over here, it's it runs like clockwork. It's you know it it, it leaves at I don't know. It's like this morning we left Miami at uh, five sixteen was the uh, the uh, uh, scheduled departure time, and at five sixteen on the dot, you know brakes came off, and it's it's been like that you know every flight i've done so far which is which is nice and just the just the size of the operation is just, just amazing you know, just it has crazy. to run that way i mean you think about the uh you place an order on amazon and it's like it'll be there tomorrow or later today or two days from oh, now yeah. so yeah. they make those promises they gotta gotta oh, keep absolutely. them absolutely and uh it's it, it's crazy how um the uh the cost indexes that we fly at so basically the cost index cost index is a number that you enter into your flat management system and that basically tells the the FMC how fast you're going to fly, and cost index is just a a a, uh, a figure that compares the cost of fuel versus the cost of the operation. So the higher the cost index is, the higher your speed is, but obviously the higher the fuel burn is going to be. The lower the cost index, obviously goes the other way. So um, all these flights I've been doing very very high cost index uh, flights, obviously because it's it's. What, what you were saying, Steffi, the stuff has, it has to get there on time all the time. But the 767 is not exactly an airplane that you want to be flying very, very fast. So, so you, you, you know, taken off out of, uh, where was it, uh, out of uh, Wilmington the other night. Cost index was like 130. And uh, we crossed uh, 10,000 feet because obviously below 10,000 feet, you go to 50 below 10, you go above 10,000. The speed shot up to 330 knots indicated, which is right at the red ants, right at the at the you know right at barber pole there. Start getting a little, start getting a little uh, bumpy, and obviously you don't want to you don't want to fly the aircraft at barber poles in, in, in bumpy weather. So every time now now I know every time I see a cost index above 100, I need to you know bring that bring that speed down a little bit because uh, you can get yourself in trouble. On the way up and then on the way down as well. We so, um, uh, we modify routinely on the uh, on the Mad Dog, um, 
anything you know, with the cost index that throws the speed up to like above 325 mm-hmm. we we br- usually bring it down to 325 uh, just to keep it from getting too close to the barber pole because exactly as you said because if you get in a bumpy air it's possible that you could get thrown through the barber pole or the whatever you called it on on your display mm-hmm. um and uh then you're now over you've officially oversped the airplane over, over-sped requires, the aircraft, exactly yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I don't worry about getting through, thrown through the barber's pole. It's thrown through the ceiling that there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but see, the getting thrown through the ceiling is one thing, but then you have to kind of uh, fill out a lot of paperwork when you yeah, when this you overspeed to, clacker goes off. Do a lot, do a lot of explaining, and, not, and, yeah. and and all these aircraft have uh, um, uh, just quick access recorders and constant data recording and all that stuff. And yeah. the, the second you 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 overstep a boundary. It shoots off a message, and they all know about it before you even land. Got some splaining to do. Exactly. And then you got to do a carpet dance, and that's not fun. <laughs> so, so, um, but I mean, I, from, from my experience, I remember the 7.6 is happy at 320 knots on the climb, transition to 0.80. And on the descent, 0.80, transition to 300 knots. You know, just perfect. Yeah. Good stuff. So, uh, so yeah, so um, tomorrow going to, uh, I'm uh, deadheading down to Tampa in the morning. And then the day after, I'm flying Tampa to uh, Baltimore, and that'll be it. Me checked off and good to go. All right. So look forward to that. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear it's yeah, going well. Well done. Great. Looking Fantastic. forward to seeing you. Some pictures of you in the left hand seat, definitely. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, um, Captain Nick. How have you been, sir? You uh, feeling any better? It seems like you're not coughing as much as. Uh, Not coughing quite as much, but it's still there. Uh, Uh, Still on the antibiotics. Still on the antibiotics, only halfway through. Um, So, uh, yeah, ticking over nicely. Nothing much is going on. Had a very interesting interview, which probably going to redo, which will be part of the next Plane Tales. So fascinating, bloke. Um, And I hope everyone will enjoy it. Um, But uh, we're looking at the quality of the... uh, video and audio and it's not perfect so we're gonna rerun it but uh when that comes out i'm i'm thinking that'll be a, a very interesting uh, series of plain tales so that's in the future um nothing else is really happening here uh my lovely wife is busy um making um surgical gowns oh. for the national health service uh, so they've got a whole group of um people who are good at sewing uh, with their machines, etc. So they've got a team cutting, a team delivering, a team sewing all the pieces together, and a team boxing them all up and sending them off to the NHS. So uh, uh, that's uh, that's really good. Um, yeah, that's, that's and, wonderful. Please, please give her um, our thanks. Oh, of course, yeah. 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 Uh, and um, But apart from that, nothing uh, new uh, over here, I'm afraid. Nothing much. Well, the Prime Minister's back in, at work, so that's nice. Well, I, that's, that's not entirely true, because I see that uh, your, uh, your uh, shiny red car is shinier than ever. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very uh, slick. Yeah, there's a lot of pollen around, you know, and I really don't like pollen on my shiny red car. How many times a day do you have to wash your car to keep the pollen off of it? Three. Yeah. <laughs> Minimum. But we've had some rain, so I didn't have to do it today. Oh, nice. Free car wash. Yeah. Wait, it Excellent. never rains in England? <laughs> no, it doesn't, actually. And we've got some really nice work coming up. Nice. Sweet. Nice. Dana, how have you been? I'm okay. How are you? 
Oh, just fine. <laughs> yeah. Nothing um, really, nothing, no oh. news, nothing really uh, happening. You've been, you've been nothing, awfully nothing quiet. At nothing <laughs> at all. Here to, here to share. I uh, flew up this past week at one leg to Raleigh on Sunday evening. Uh, flew with a really senior FO, um, actually senior to me, and he did a fantastic job. I flew back. Uh, I figured I'd change it up for change. Usually when you show up and talk to the the captain usually the captain flies first leg and the FO flies back and I decided, well, let me change it up because he probably is tired of flying the last leg into Atlanta. So I decided to do that. And uh, I was supposed to go out on a trip tomorrow for a day line. I actually nabbed a, uh, a senior trip uh, in Atlanta to Nashville round trip turn. Go in it. I think it was eight 40 in the morning and done by like noon 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a call from our, uh, lead ch- line check airman actually texted me, um, the same gentleman I had that conversation with way back when I went through in command training. Um, and we had a very nice conversation yesterday because I was driving back from the boat, um, <clears throat> had to go pull the, uh, freezer out of it to, uh, fix a couple things with it, which has successfully been done. But, uh, he called me, he texted me and I called him back and I said, Hey, he said, uh, would you mind if I take your national turn tomorrow on, on Friday? I said, well, you know, I actually kind of do, <laughs> but you know, go ahead. Uh, you know, because I know this is, this actually to the tomorrow is the 30th of April, which is the last day of the month, which, oh no, I'm sorry, the first day, first uh, of May. I'm t- sorry, today is the 30th of April. First of May was actually part of our April bid package, which included uh, it was the last day that I'm, I was going to hold a line on the MD88, at least through the summer uh, on reserve. So I sat reserve on May 2nd. So I figured, you know, be nice to fly my last trip, but uh, <clears throat> at least as a line holder. And I said, you know what, go ahead and take it. I'll go to the lake instead. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> well. Uh, get to have our priorities. So, as as we're recording this show, um, this is Saturday. I wasn't going to mention it. Okay, go ahead. No, I wasn't going to mention it because oh. we always want to try to keep things upbeat. Or do you want me to mention it? Oh, you can mention it. It's uh, We're talking about Acme Airlines. We're talking about Acme. And uh, today, just before we came on show, and it's the reason why I have not been saying a whole lot, I'm actually kind of uh, – uh, personally devastated today. Uh, they have announced that the MD-88 and the MD-90 uh, effective the end of uh, end of May, first, first day of June, maybe earlier, uh, will no longer be part of our fleet and is being permanently retired uh, ahead of what we were originally planning. So thus the reason why I was kind of hinting towards that I will never, ever fly more than likely the, the month of May because we've got so many people on reserve. So I may never fly it as a captain again. So I may have already flown my last flight at Acme uh, as a captain for the for the a very long foreseeable future. So I'm probably uh, probably looking bit, going back to FO. Uh, I don't know. We don't know what the implications are, but the airplane will no longer be flying. So yeah, it's kind of a double whammy for me. I mean, I love the aircraft as you, as Jeff and I both, uh, you know, have said over the years how much we love that aircraft. I love flying that airplane. I love it. You know, I just feel like it's kind of like getting into your own car and you, you know all where all switches are and you feel very comfortable. And that's not something that's easily obtained. Uh, it takes a little time to get 
really comfortable, kind of like what Rick was talking about, you know, going back to the 767, how comfortable he is getting back into the aircraft because it's like an old friend. Uh, so for me, that's personally, uh, you know, very, very upsetting. And then the second part is, you know, knowing that I'm uh, n- I'm not going to say 100%, but 99.99% chance uh, I'm no longer going to be able to hold the left seat, at least in Atlanta. So um, it's kind of a, a very rough day for me. Yeah, I uh, I really the way I felt about this airplane uh, a couple of decades ago um, is is different than I feel about it now because I've been flying it for the past eighteen years uh, longer than any other airplane I've flown. I have at least we're getting close to twelve thousand, maybe over twelve thousand hours on it now. Um, so it's uh yeah it becomes a part of you actually you know, when you've flown it that long, and I was kind of surprised when I read the news this morning. That uh, they were, you know, this is going to be it. This this month of May is going to be it for, you know, we were hoping that the 90 would fly maybe until the end of the year. Uh, but nope. So that means uh, that uh, there are 750 pilots, captains and first officers that uh, in June are basically, there's no airplane for us to fly. So what will happen there, don't worry, you know, as, as Dana said, he'll likely have to shift down to uh, first officer on something. Uh, I will be able to fly captain on something else. And um, I'm hoping, and we're going to talk about this in the feedback because uh, Chris, the guru kind of sent in some feedback regarding a couple of things going on at Acme regarding uh, air, airplane fleets. I'm hoping that I can displace to the 717, uh, which is the same DC nine type rating that I have. It's just, uh, I have to go through a differences training, which is like a six or seven day course. And then, I'll be good to go on that. And I should still have pretty decent seniority on it as a captain. Uh, but as we'll talk about in the in the feedback, that may not be um, something that's going to work out either. Right, Dana? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. But okay. yeah, I'm hearing rumblings uh, as to, I've been hearing about this rumbling, not necessarily this direct rumor, which we'll talk about in the feedback. Yeah. Uh, but I've been hearing about the, the 717 being uh, gone. Like Traded. Into the air. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I've tried to find my uh, save the uh, Mad Dogs T-shirt, and for the life of me, I could not figure out what. Yeah, I was pile actually of... just thinking that today would be the appropriate day <laughs> I know. to wear that shirt. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. did try to find it. I don't know what I've done with it, but um, yeah. I did find this. Uh, what, what were you showing, Dana? I was going to cover up a few things. Yeah, let's oh. see if I can get it in there. It's hard uh, to see uh, the lighting. It's a little bright. Yeah, the, it's not exposing it properly. What does it say? No, it isn't. It is a picture of my favorite aircraft ever. And when that airplane retired, which is the L 1011, mm-hmm. it there's a sticker that came out, which is what I'm trying to show here because the, the lighting is terrible. Um, let's see, I can't still can't get it. But you may have actually had one of these, Jeff, and it says end of an era. Yeah. And and next to the N is N three because it had three engines, unlatched forever. It's a sticker I have and, and have great pride in. That's from 1973 to 2001 is the L-1011. I'm wondering if we're going to get something like that for the Mad Dog. Does it say yeah. N3? Yeah, it says you know, I think of an era. Yeah. And on the A-N, on the N, it, it has an N3. Yeah, I, that might actually be because the RB-211 has three compressors. You have N1, N2, and N3. Okay, so yeah, that that might I, be why it says might that. Might be why, but yeah, I, I don't think. Now the lighting here is just too terrible with the with the camera. Yeah, the camera's not exposing it. it properly. Yep. 
Uh, so yeah, so because I couldn't find my save the uh, Mad Dogs T-shirt, um, I found a picture that I have behind me. If you're watching the video of a MD88 climbing out, and uh, Moon is in the back, uh, backlighting. So it's a silhouette shot, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I never really thought I'd say this, but I'm really gonna miss the the Mad Dogs, and hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll still be able to fly a DC9 variant uh, for. Uh, a little while anyway until maybe that leaves as well so and from after that i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'll be around until i retire most likely retirement (laughs) so bye-bye i keep hearing some voices in my head saying (laughs) you need to retire take the the back you know there there are going to probably be some uh, early retirement incentives (laughs) but uh yeah we'll see <laughs> yeah, those, those more junior pilots, they're just like trying to you know, yeah. tell you. Oh, well. Out the door. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a personal problem to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm, hey, Jeff, I'm really, I'm really only kidding. I'm really only kidding. Uh, I'd hate not. to see you leave. He's not. He's not <laughs> I, know, I know when he's lying. Uh, yeah, I'm still here. Anyway, so uh, that was. I had uh, to have a good laugh because I'm I'm crying in my laughter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, it's interesting. It's tough. The mixed emotions. But I think, um, I think after this little segment, I'm gonna have to go make a very stiff drink. There you go. And toast the Mad Dog. Neville, that's we'll, not we'll funny. Pour one out for the the Mad Dog. Neville said he's always had concerns about my package. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, and I've had that a lot sounds of like a personal problem. <laughs> that, that, that would that be. That is a personal problem right there. Yeah. But I'm glad that you're concerned about my package now. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, all right. So let's uh, see what have I been doing. I've, I've flown – actually, for this month, I've flown pretty much almost as much as I do in a normal month. Um, and I just uh, – I did a two-day uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and then a – no, wait a minute. That's not right. Today is Thursday. Anyway, uh, just got back from a three-day trip. And what are you showing there? Uh, uh, it's how I'm keeping track of the days when I'm at home. Hold on. It's oh. like this, it's, I've had this since sixth grade, and I've never used it. Oh, where's my camera? So much until just now, but it's a little sliding calendar. So every day I sit down and I move the day of the week and the number over one. <laughs> We know it's, it's interesting. I write the wrong dates on orders, and I don't you know. You know, it's on your watch. <laughs> yeah, I know, but this is eye level. <laughs> so you know, now that you mention a calendar, why don't I just look at the calendar? Here we go. I got one right in front of me now. That seems like it would be a good thing to do. Uh, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was on this three-day trip, and then uh, I have today off, obviously, and then tomorrow. I leave on a, I just deadhead tomorrow to San Antonio and then fly one leg back from San Antonio on Saturday morning. And then, uh, as far as I know, I'm still flying a trip next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, but, you know, as Dana said, things are really up in the air. Who knows uh, what is going to go on for the rest of the month. So, uh, yeah, got um, got some cool things in the mail. Uh, let me start off with... This one, I stopped by the uh, APG PO box and received a package and a, a nice handwritten letter. And I know you're not going to be able to see this, but it's really, see, it's really paper. It's really letter. Uh, it says, hey, Cap. Paper too. Yeah, it's actually kind of, it's a thick cardstock, really. 
Uh, hey, Captain Jeff, uh, it's my pleasure to send you my contribution to the coffee fund. Thanks for uh, ensuring my question, let's say answering my question last episode for which uh, coffee you partake of. Yeah, because uh, I think um, Jeff Jet was in the chat room asking me about what my favorite coffee roasts are. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, so he's included in the package um, two 12-ounce um, bags of amazingly good coffee. Well, actually, I've only tried one of them so far. This one I'm holding up is the um, uh, Blackbird. Uh, I got to get it away from. I can't read it. Blackbird something. Help me out, Jeff. Um, I think it's uh, kind of more of a dark espresso kind of roast. Ooh, and um, that'll be scorched and smell of after. <laughs> smell of JP seven. Um, and then uh, this one I, I did open up, and it's uh, I've had several cups of coffee made with these whole beans, and this one is the Hidden Apache, which is a French roast. Very, very nice. Very, very flavorful. Um, turns out that uh, Jeff uh, actually roasts these. Um, he's in the uh, Seattle-Tacoma area, and we'll have some information about that for those of you who want to purchase some coffee from him. He's given us a, 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 a discount code. Just uh, saw that this morning. So, so let me get this right. A hidden Apache is uh, pops up from behind the trees and shoots you in the backside. Is that right? Yeah, it's not a really, as far as a life experience, it's not really good. But for a coffee experience, <laughs> it's pretty good. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Okay, Included is the Blackbird JP7, which is a medium dark roast. Also good for home brewed espresso. I really wanted to use the C5 for my picture on that on as that's what I've always wanted to fly. But the Blackbird is the most iconic Air Force bird. The second coffee is my uh, French roast, Hidden Apache. It's my most popular coffee. And his per, uh, he says his personal favorite is Tomcat uh, House Blend. I'll have to try that and order some of that. Uh, as I'm uh, a medium roast guy, I'm a 200-hour, well, 202-hour private pilot aspiring professional pilot. Um, selling aviation-themed coffee is one way to keep me close to what I love. I hope you enjoy it, and I have so far. What a great idea, actually. That's wow. brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, let me know your thoughts at my website, and his website is Jet. His, his uh, great name. His name, well, first of all, his first name's great, Jeff. Uh, his last name, his surname is Jet, J-E-T-T. -T. I'm not lying. Jeff Jet. So one day cool. he'll be Captain Jet. Yeah. Nice. And so uh, the name of his company is Jet. Uh, anyway, if, if he has some children, will they be Jetsons? <laughs> Could be, or Jet Daughters. Uh, let's see. Jet Fuel Java, and that's J-E-T-T, -T, Fuel Java is the name of his company. Jetfueljava.com. Uh, you can find out a bit more about me, and I'm also and also see how we contribute to the aviation community. Thanks for the great podcast. I've been listening since the 100s. So we're assuming that's not the year, but the actual episodes. And uh, again, this is uh, Jeff Jett. And uh, again, his coffee. And let me give you that information about... Oh, let me uh, show you a picture of Jeff uh, with the coffee roaster behind him. I think I can do that. Application window... And here we go. Share. There he is. 
Looks like a look at that great smile he has because oh, he's right. drinking his coffee and there are some of his roasts um, in front of him. And then you can see the roaster behind him. It's a European uh, roaster that he uh, uses for Looks the very uh, fancy. Love it. Coffee. Yeah, he lo- he looks like somebody you just want to like instantly sit down with and become best friends with. Oh yeah, exactly. over a nice cup of coffee. Absolutely. Amazing. I feel like he was in the chat room earlier. I think he, he was. Yeah. Okay. Is he not there he's anymore? Still there anymore? Yeah. Ah, that's too bad. So there's a picture of the um, bags of coffee that he uh, sent to me and uh, the actual letter. So there we go. All right. Very nice. Stop screen. Um, So check out. Oh, uh, let's see. I got to scroll down here and I can tell you that uh, if you want 20% off any order, uh, the code that you use, and it'll be in the show notes, APG423, which happens to be this episode, APG423, no space. And that expires the fifteenth of next month. So, take advantage he, of it. Check out his. He own. is still here. In the, he just moved chat rooms. Oh, okay. Good. Is he now? He is oh, he's now in the uh, YouTube chat. YouTube. Yeah. Great. Aha! He uh, changed his uh, his name as well, so nobody would know. That's right. Okay. Incognito. Yes. All right. So I'm going to definitely be putting in an order for some more coffee, Jeff. Good stuff. Okay, and then uh, I ordered um, a T-shirt from um, company is, huh, I should know this. It is, um, why can't I remember the name of his company? Something T's, FRZ, you know the the hat that he gave us? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Uh uh-huh, yep, I know the company. I've got one of the T's, I think. And uh, he gave us He's these um, caps Super for Connie on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he lives in the D.C. area. Tony Fletcher, um, and uh, I saw that he had a a new T-shirt design out there, so I ordered one. And the material on those T-shirts is lovely. It is support your local airport. Nice, nice little. Might need one cup. of those too. Yes, so check out Tony Fletcher's company. Fly. Uh, FRZ T's, I guess that's the name of the, what does it stand for? Whoa! Uh oh. Rick's falling off the wagon again. It's falling off the wagon. I hope the iPad's still okay. Oh, this thing is, this thing is wrapped in titanium. It's all good. (laughs) Is that the, uh, the Surface Pro? No, no, no. The Surface Pro's still updating. Oh, stupid thing. Gotta love Windows. Love Windows. Um, what's the FRZ stand for again? The flight? Something restriction zone, you know, around DC. Yeah, I know what it. FRZ. I'm just to think what the actual acronym stands for. Acronyms are dangerous. Acronyms are dangerous. They are indeed. FRZTES.com. FreezeTees.com. So check it out. And that, I think, is it for now. Um, he's going to have to call. What do you say? He's going to make flight a restricted flight restricted zone. Flight restricted zone. Thank you. He's going to have to make a special APG blend. Call it APG Mad Dog Starlifter. <laughs> Very nice. Interesting. Uh, uh, don't forget, don't forget uh, Airbus in there, and you can even put seven four seven as well if you want. <laughs> and TriStar no, no, seven twenty seven. This is going to be a very long title. You probably right, that Airbus A three forty dash six hundred. Not leave that one out. You're going to have to, <laughs> have to make a lot of different roasts now. See what you gotten yourself into, Jeff. Big mistake. Hey, it's not necessarily a bad thing. All these pilots, you know, they're 
it's an ego thing. You got to make sure they can have their own individual brand of coffee because that's what they're oh, going to buy. Yeah. Well, are you saying the pilots have big own. egos? What? Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, what pilot would want to buy, you know, the, the a personalized coffee, coffee advertising a plane that they don't fly? Exactly. I don't know. Just hey, say. Hey, Jeff, do you do you guys have um, coffee mugs? That might be kind of earned. And t-shirts? I'll have to, I didn't. I don't merch. know if I saw that merch. on your. Yeah, merch. Uh, that'd be kind of fun. Anyway, um, let's move on over to the co- last episode when we were recording the show live. I said I'll put in the coffee fun thing after the fact, and I'll fix it in post. And I got lazy and I, I didn't put it in. So this week's coffee fund um, contributors uh, encompass this episodes and the previous episodes. Uh, so. Here we go. I'm going to try this again. I'm going to hit um, the little video, and hopefully I can unmute myself and you'll hear me talk. And if not, somebody will probably give me some kind of indication that it's not working. So here we go. Fingers crossed. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community coffee and tea and the java and me a cup a cup a cup a cup a cup all right the coffee fund your way to contribute to the apg show financially if you have the resources to do so and since the last well couple of shows we have some a lot of folks contributing via the coffee fund classic method Let's start off with Glenn Towler. I think he's with us in the chat room. He's from uh, New Zealand. Chris Randall, Randy Ward, Cindy Filco, David Lieb, Brian Geller, Mark Anderson, Murillo, Murillo Barbasso. I'm sure I messed that one up. Uh, Jonathan Blackman and Rob Simmons from uh, St. Benedict's School in uh, the UK. Thank you all of you for your very nice contributions to the Coffee Fund Classic Method. New patrons since the last episode. We have uh, some new producers, Matt Lovich, Marius Sojerd, uh, Brian Geller, and Kenneth Broderson. Uh, a couple of new executive producers. We have John Guagenti. I'm not sure if that's right or not. Peter Rude. And then we have a top-level senior executive producer, um, William Birch. So that's awesome. Um, Thank you for becoming patrons of the show. And uh, just a reminder to those of you who are patrons of the show, uh, we're not charging anything for the time being uh, for the... um, for the contributions or the your pledge per show. The way it works is if you become a patron, uh, you pledge a certain amount per episode. And uh, since the, well, all of April is completely free. We're not, we're not charging for anything. And, and, and we're going to keep it that way for the time being because of the pandemic. And um, I know that a lot of people are, you know, going through some rough times. Uh, so uh, it, being mindful of that, um, being a patron, um, Right now is no charge at all. And then we'll let you, we'll give you a warning when we start charging again. And many of the folks that have used the Coffee Fund Classic method are people that are actually patrons of the show and they want to continue to uh, contribute. So that's why they're using the Coffee Fund Classic method. So we do appreciate that. Honestly, you really don't have to do that, people, but we do thank you for for, uh, considering us. So with that, I think it's now time for us to head over to the feedback section. 
Incoming message. Let's start off with number one. This is from JJ, not Pittsburgh. He says, APG, big annual meetup in Reno? Question mark. Hey, guys, have you thought about doing a meetup at the Reno Air Races? Assuming this corona stuff is over with soon, it would be a pretty sweet to get together and watch some racing. Side note, Jeff, have you been keeping up with how NASCAR is combating the virus threat? They're virtual racing. Help! <laughs> uh, Cavu, he says. JJ, not Pittsburgh. Um, so we'll start with the first one first. Uh, Reno Air Races. I've never been. I don't know. Has anybody here been to the Reno Air Races? No, I, I would no, love never. to go. I've been no. meaning to go for lots of years, and there's always something else going on. So Sounds like a good idea. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, this year was supposed to be the cycle if we're going to keep the cycle going uh we're doing something over in the uk slash europe um but we decided that because of this whole you know thing this pandemic that uh probably not going to work out this year for a big annual meetup so uh we'll definitely put the reno air races down on the paper for planning big annual meetups in the states uh, i forget a, is that september I forget when it happens. I think it wasn't it Usually. around the same time as mm -hmm. the as Oshkosh or maybe, oh, maybe right it's July. July. Not sure. I don't know. I'm sure. Yeah, well, Armando was there, wasn't he? He was. Yes. I'm trying to remember because I, I talked to him about going to it, and I was doing something else, and I was trying to remember what in my calendar happened at the same time. Hmm. I, I'm trying to think because he did a series of uh, PTUK uh, videos and. You know, it's too bad we don't have the technology to look up the Reno Air <laughs> race. And I know, I know why I wasn't able to be there because I was at Nick's house. Ah, there you go. For uh, Goodwood revival. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. It's gonna. She be comes held. to my house for some Goodwood. So I, I, I wasn't going to touch that one either. Mm. <laughs> Oops, wrong one. That's what she said. Uh, so. Um, looks like they are supposed to be held on September 16th through 20th of this year. So, yeah, September it is. Well, I, uh, Jeff yeah. says it's usually mid-September. Yes. All right. He's right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of my birthday. Oh, well, then that's important. September 9th, I believe. Yeah, 9th the 9th. Well done. Um, yeah, well, again, uh, we're we're still kind of feeling out how this whole thing is going to sort itself out and probably not likely that we're going to be um, doing a big meetup this year. And then for next year, who knows? <laughs> so we'll, we'll let you know as soon as we know something. You're saying uh, it's up in the air. Yeah. Um, That's what the show should be. Yes, should be. I don't know if we're going to be doing a show next year. I don't know. Um, just kidding. Um, let's see. Yeah, come on, I'm retired now. What else have I Nothing got else to look I know. To? Apparently, apparently, if Dana gets his way, I'll be retired too. Yeah, just so gonna enjoy you. So we'll see. Oh man, you guys yeah. will be insufferable together. We'll be living vicariously. <laughs> Airline pilots. Oh my god. Yeah. We do have some ideas though for when I actually do retire for uh, for traveling all over the world, doing fun stuff. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, Love it. So, um, and the, uh, the, the, na the racing thing, not only NASCAR, but, uh, formula one and some of the other, uh, sports out there, um, uh, racing driving sports are in the, um, virtual world. And I've watched a few, I've been watching uh, Joseph Newgarden. He's an Indianapolis, uh, IndyCar, um, racer, and I've been really having a good time watching 
the stuff that he's putting out there on uh, on uh, YouTube, and uh, it's it's kind of fun watching uh, some of these well known drivers actually do the virtual driving thing, and then there are some other people that are not real, or well, not real, but they're not professional. Uh, high-level race car drivers also competing in a lot of those races as well. Um, I know the Formula One is, I mean, the um, IndyCar and NASCAR have been using um, uh, iRacing, I believe, for their uh, virtual racing. And then I think Formula One has been using like the F1 2019 game. I think it's a different company. Um, I think I like the iRacing better. Jeff, did you ever do the um, uh, NASCAR simulator at the... uh Hall of Fame here in no, Charlotte. No, I didn't. I didn't oh, have a chance to do fun. that. Yeah, yeah, I had to. Anyway. I had to do that sometime. I was impressed that Steph, Pip, and Al were competing on their own racing. Yeah, game. we have been actually very oh, sophisticated yeah, Mario Kart. racing game. We've been yeah. having a Mario Kart uh, tournaments <laughs> almost once a week for a couple of hours, and um, turns out that I think it's um, uh, Pip Junior is the best of all of us at the actual racing. But I seem to win a lot of the head-to-head battles, so it's uh, it's good. It's entertaining. Yeah. I, I tried to look at the price of one of those devices you guys have been playing on. Mm-hmm. And there are none available. Yeah. No, it was actually so I didn't have one when they proposed this as uh, something to do to to pass time on the weekends. Um, but I wasn't going to let uh, them not uh, them play Mario Kart without me. That's like my childhood game <laughs> from junior high. I spent a lot of hours playing Mario Kart at my friend's house and my house. Um, so I had to find one, and it was actually quite difficult. I had to go to two different Target stores to get both the game and the actual device. I love uh, it. Yeah, Amazon didn't have any. I couldn't get it get it shipped. Really? To me. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So yeah, Rick, Rick's falling down on the job again. <laughs> I need yeah, a Nintendo really, Switch I'm gonna tomorrow. I have, to have to get on that here. I'm need to talk to your bosses on. about that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Hey, hey, Jeff. What the hell? <laughs> me. <laughs> Bezos, Bezos. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> can, well, I'm not your boss. Um, anyway, yeah, so it's been interesting. Oh, by the way, um, unofficially, I don't think it's official yet, but I think they're talking about opening up the NASCAR season mid-May, um, starting yeah, in Charlotte, I, I, I think. About not only that, but yeah, because they were going to do... Oh, go yeah, ahead, I'm sorry. saying they're just they're going to start making, making the turns to the right instead of the left. That's uh, something else I saw. Yeah, that'll confuse the virus. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> anything that helps. Anything the virus know. is not an ambiturner. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um, it's been following yeah, him to the left, and now it'll get very confused. <laughs> racing usually in Charlotte, end of uh, May, Memorial Day weekend, usually the Coca Cola 600. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's a couple weeks out. Yeah. Cool. My birthday weekend. Oh, yeah. Oh, she had to get that in. What's the actual day? Like the 24th? Ding, Ding. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's good nice. with dates, isn't he? Mm-hmm. It's two for two. That don't ask me two. what yours is, Rick. I don't know. <laughs> you missed <laughs> it already this year. I know, I know. Yeah. yeah, you did. Yours is uh, December 26th. I know that. Ah, yeah. Well, that's an easy one to remember. I know everybody. Yeah. Do you? Oh, you're <laughs> good. I know Dana's. I feel like you, I should. Uh, Dana, what's your birthday? Uh, In August. 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 Okay. Anyways. August 24th. All right. 24th, good date. And I turned 50. Ooh, uh, five, 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 five. I'm not, not happy. I'm not happy about that either. <laughs> a lot of I'm things old, not to be happy about. I'm an old man. <laughs> right. let, oh. let me assure you, it's too late. You're already uh, a. <laughs> uh, I cannot disagree with you on that at all. Hey, so uh, you know, Miami Rick is back, and apparently, so is Miami Hick, and is he sent right? us. He sent us in mm-hmm. some feedback. This is Miami Hick. 
coming at you after a long hiatus. Seems I tested positive for Corona. Beer. Seems the FAA don't like it too much when you take off from the wrong airport. Usually you land at the wrong airport, but I took <laughs> off from the wrong airport. Figured that one out. But uh, I noticed that uh, Miami Rick back on the show after a long hiatus too, and I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, why was it gone so long? Well, about two years ago, someone stopped to ask him a question about airplanes. <laughs> He's been answering the question ever since. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Miami Rick's awful smart. You know, he left his knowledge of airplanes in the parking lot one time. Had the whole place blocked up. And I was going to go around it, but I only had a half a tank of gas. So, anyway, uh, everybody stay safe. Stay home and stay thirsty, my friends. Miami. Uh, good day, Excellent. Always good to hear from Miami Hick. I love that. <laughs> Have you ever met uh, met Brent? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. oh you need to meet. Yes, yeah. it'll be a lot of fun when you get a chance to meet him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Forward to that, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Miami Hick, for sending that in. Um. Let's see. Oh, uh, Texas, still on the uh, Miami Rick theme, Texas Charlie. You know, I was talking about, we were talking about uh, what kind of music to use for um, Miami Rick's theme. And right now, at least for the time being, we're going to use that uh, big old jet airliner uh, theme music. But uh, Texas Charlie wrote us, said, uh, Captain Rick needs something special. Maybe a power rock version of Stephen Still's Treetop Flyer. So attached file isn't good enough for permanent use, but with a $12 fee paid, it's royalty free and has legs enough for the interim. Something to consider. So should we, li- should we listen to what he has in mind? And hopefully I won't get uh, banned on YouTube. Let's give this a try. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, a little headbanging action. There. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this that, that was by uh, Jacob Lizotte and uh, he, from Dark Cabin Studios, music production, mixing, and mastering. So um, it's royalty free heavy metal oh, instrumental that's music. Excellent. It sounded like a seven forty seven getting the apple on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What did you What did you think, Rick? I liked it. It's nice. A little little headbanging action, you know. Yeah. Do you do you want that? Uh, do you think that you like that better than the uh, big old jet airliner? It's more. I guess it's more contemporaneous. I'd say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's let's give that one a try. Okay. We'll, 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 see, we'll think see. about it. Thanks, let's Texas. See how it goes. Texas Charlie. Thanks for the uh, suggestion. Okay. Are we? We're getting close to two hours, right? Ten minutes. Pretty close. Hour. Tell, we can probably squeeze in another one. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is from Nigel. See, this is why I have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to go gentle with you. Uh, Hong Kong Nigel uh, wrote in, and uh, he um, says, I have a quick non-audio question that might give, sco- give scope for banter. In the last show, Captain Jeff... <laughs> He calls me Jeff, Captain Jeff. I like it, actually. Uh, mentioned Acme slash APG seniority. So my question is, does Acme run last in, first out redundancy? And if so, bearing in mind that Captain Rick was AWOL, absent without leave, how does that affect his seniority? 
Or is it done by number of show attendances? Best wishes from Nigel Demery. Um, so uh, I had to look up the um, contract language. And uh, it seems that at Acme, our provision from for seniority, and I, I believe that um, Miami Rick's absence was a, um, a leave of absence, a, an authorized um, leave of absence, not an unauthorized one. And I believe in the terms of the contract that he continues to accrue uh, normal secure um, seniority for bidding purposes and for vacations. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, we we got the we got the unions involved and yeah. lawyers, and uh, it was it was it was messy it, for a little while. But it was we, messy we got for a while, out, yeah. but 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 Saul got it figured out. So uh, I oppose. So <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see. I don't know if Dana actually. Uh, we didn't receive your ballot. Uh, the voting. Uh, <laughs> process so i'm sorry i counted. didn't even get a damn vote <laughs> i know I, no, nobody seems to ask me anything I, around I, yeah. I, I can do there my hands were tied hey look yeah. i'm just making all this stuff up <laughs> I, I vote for myself to have a 50 percent pay cut uh, okay you got it that Fine. <laughs> we can arrange that just uh, meeting with the hr just, just so just so i can make sure the 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 it, the extreme talent is kept on the show. <laughs> hey. Liz. Oh, yes. yeah. We need to – oh, somebody Liz mentions is, gives us a yeah. bad time about not having Liz on. And, you know, I would love to have Liz on, but it's it's she's the one that says no. No. She says no. All right. How is that? No. Okay. <laughs> That's no in Canadian, just, is it? Just no. <laughs> not doing it. All right, uh, let's go to this week's installment of The Plain Tales. What do you think? Let's do it. Yes. Yeah, right. great. I need another beer. Me too. Yep. I, I need, need a beer. beer. Me too. I need to start with one. All right, here we go. Um, hitting the play button now. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. Willy Wonka and the Fighter Pilot. Born in Wales to immigrant parents, he would grow to a height of 6 foot 6 inches, that's 198 centimetres, and climbing into the cockpit of a World War II fighter was going to be a problem, but he managed it. He used to be an army officer in North Africa, and when the war started he found himself guarding a road of Dar es Salaam with a platoon of local Askari troops. So he decided instead to join the Royal Air Force, and before long had earned the moniker Lofty. His injury in a crash would eventually result in him being invalided out of the service, but this led to the writing of his first book, something that would blossom into a career and make him a household name around the world. Lofty would pen books that charmed children for generations and generations. Books that would have delightfully unexpected endings, macabre, unsentimental, darkly comic stories featuring villainous adult enemies. James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, and so many more. For Lofty, who was an army officer, fighter pilot, and spy, 
but perhaps better known as the renowned author who sold over 100 million copies of his books, Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl's family lived in Clandaff, part of Cardiff in Wales, but his father, Harold, was a Norwegian who came from Sarpsborg. When his first wife passed away, Harald remarried to Sophie Hesselberg, and in 1916, Roald was born. Named after the famous polar explorer Amundsen, he grew up bilingual, with Norwegian being spoken at home and English at school. He was given a good education, and only occasionally marred by a prank such as putting a dead mouse into a jar of gobstopper sweets for which he was caned. This became known as the Great Mouse Plot of 1924, and everlasting gobstoppers featured in a book his future self would write. His life in public school wasn't unusual for the time and often involved ritual cruelty and domination by older students who made the younger boys their personal servants. Corporal punishment was common and Roald would relive some of these darker times in his books. In subsequent reflections, he would comment that all through my school life I was appalled by the fact that masters and senior boys were allowed literally to wound other boys and sometimes quite severely. I couldn't get over it. I've never got over it. After school, he would join Shell Petroleum, and following training he was assigned first to Mombasa in Kenya, but then he joined two other Shell employees in Shell House, just outside Dar es Salaam. These three dealt with snakes, scorpions, and other wild animals, as well as Shell's interests throughout the entire of Tanganyika, now Tanzania. The life of adventure and the luxury of the cooks and servants of Shell House were soon to become a distant memory as the Second World War loomed. In Dar es Salaam, the British made plans to round up the hundreds of Germans living there, and Roald was commissioned as a lieutenant in the King's African Rifles, commanding a platoon of indigenous Askari troops who were serving in the colonial army. He found that guarding roads around the city wasn't quite what he wanted to do, so after a tortuous 600-mile drive to Nairobi in Kenya, he was accepted into the Royal Air Force with 16 others in his draft and commenced training. At the end of the war, of those 16, he would be just one of three survivors. His morning started only after the grazing zebras were chased off the airfield and the tiger moth trainers were prepared. This rugged little biplane had an open cockpit and Dahl was so tall that his head stuck well above the little windscreen. His instructor commented that breathing in the powerful slipstream might be a problem. Indeed it was and Dahl had to keep ducking down to fill his lungs. Having survived that first flight, however, he discovered that a thin cotton scarf around his nose and mouth enabled him to breathe at least. Soloing after only seven hours and forty minutes, he was sent off on basic navigational exercises across the game-filled plains of East Africa. Elated, he wrote, 
How many young men, I keep asking myself, are lucky enough to go whizzing and soaring through the sky above a country as beautiful as Kenya? Even the aeroplane and the petrol are free. His training continued in Iraq, near Baghdad, at RAF Habania, which they nicknamed Have a Banana. Here they flew Hawker Hearts and Audaxes, armed with machine guns and learned the basics of combat. They flew from dawn until eleven in the morning when the temperature reached an unbearable 46 degrees centigrade, 115 Fahrenheit. Everything became suddenly more serious, Dahl remembered. On the 24th of May 1940, Roald Dahl was presented with his RAF pilot's wings and rated as above average. He continued to train on airspeed Oxfords and Fairy Gordons before being posted to 80 Squadron, near the Suez Canal, and on to Gloucester Gladiators. A pre-war biplane, the Gladiator was a robust workhorse, but it was outmatched by the German Messerschmitts and would be withdrawn from service, but it did sterling work for the Navy and in the more remote areas on the edges of the conflict. When first shown his new steed, the slightly naive Dahl was told that, since there was only one cockpit, he'd have to teach himself. The transition from student to operational pilot was going to be fast, as pretty soon he was ordered to fly his gladiator to one of 80 Squadron's forward airstrips in Egypt, near the Nile Delta. It was a fairly daunting flight, consisting of a leg over the Nile to Alexandria, then on to a bomber airfield at Fuca, where he would get instructions for the final leg to the FOB. This was to be accomplished without navigation aids or even a radio, just a map strapped to one leg. He successfully arrived at Nfuka, whereupon the location of his destination, about 30 miles south of the Mersa Matreur, was pointed out to him, with the advice that, you can spot it for miles. So he set off straight there. After a worrying 50 minutes of flight time, he still hadn't spotted it, and with dusk approaching and his fuel running low, he saw no alternative than to land on the boulder-strewn desert below. Coming in slowly, as slowly as he dared, literally hanging on the prop, he chopped the throttle and prayed. The gladiator's undercarriage hit a boulder and collapsed, ploughing the aircraft into the sand at 75 miles an hour, smashing Dahl's head against the gun sight. The impact fractured his skull, smashed his nose, knocked out several teeth and left him temporarily blinded, but he somehow managed to grope his way clear of the burning wreckage before the gasoline tanks and ammunition exploded. The crash attracted the attention of a British Army patrol who got him into the hospital in Alexandria, where he was given the depressing news that he would probably never fly again. An inquiry revealed that the CO at Fuca had given Dahl the wrong information. He had come down in the no-man's land between the British and Italian armies. After six months recovering, he amazed the doctors by regaining his fitness to fly, and after a short time refreshing his skills, he rejoined his squadron, 
who were now in Greece flying hurricanes. He climbed in, with great difficulty considering his height, I might add, and got on with the job at hand. He had been given a brand new hurricane fitted with extra fuel tanks, and he took off from RAF Abu Sir to cross the Mediterranean and reach Greece. Of his first ever flight over the sea, he recounted, Bailing out into the med didn't worry me nearly as much as the thought of spending four and a half hours squashed into the tiny metal cockpit. When I sat in a hurricane, I had the posture of an unborn baby in the womb, with my knees almost touching my chin. I wasn't quite sure I could do it. But do it he did, and after nearly five hours he landed at Menidi, where the obliging airman had to lift him bodily from the cockpit in agonies of cramp. Finally he rejoined his squadron near Athens, who were embroiled in the battle to drive the Italians out of Greece, a campaign that had been going well until the Germans came to the aid of their faltering ally. When Roald arrived, the tide had turned in favour of the Axis forces, and the dogged Greek and British forces were being overwhelmed by superior numbers of German troops, armour, and aircraft. For the RAF, the retreat brought depressing reminders of the fall of France. No sooner had the ground crews finished pitching their tents than orders came to move to yet another makeshift landing ground. They were under the constant threat of strafing by marauding ME-109s and 110s operating from airfields in Salonika. Yet the British airmen's efforts went largely unappreciated by Allied ground forces. Battered by the Luftwaffe and seldom seeing a British plane, they grumbled that the RAF stood for rare as fairies. Dahl's arrival was treated in a pretty off-hand manner, with an, OK, hello, we've been expecting you for some time. He was fortunate to share a tent with flying officer David Coke, second son of the Earl of Leicester. Coke had fought in the Battle of Britain, and he wasted no time in briefing the new arrival on the discouraging realities of the air war over Greece. We have no radar here, and precious little RT. The Greeks are our radar. We have a Greek peasant sitting on the top of every mountain for miles around, and when he spots a bunch of German planes, he calls up the ops room here on a field telephone. As for the enemy, he continued... The bombers you meet will mostly be JU-88s. The gunners use incendiary tracer bullets, and they'll aim like they're aiming a hosepipe. So if you're attacking a JU-88 from astern, make sure you get well with him, so the rear gunner can't hit you. Go for one of his engines. The very next day, on a lone patrol, Darling countered the Uncas, six of them, which he attacked from behind, and found himself the attention of six rear gunners. The Germans were making for the mountains, and at last Roald could isolate one, which he fatally damaged. As it spiralled earthwards, trailing smoke, its three-man crew parachuted clear. A few days later, he brought down another one that was about to bomb an ammunition ship. Misjudging his speed, he dived so steeply that he almost followed the stricken Junkers into the blue water of the bay. 
Pulling out, he found the air thick with vengeful 109s. I swear there must have been thirty or forty of them within a few hundred yards of me, he wrote. It would have been suicide to stay and fight. Diving flat out for the ground, he fled the scene, leapfrogging his hurricane over olive trees, stone walls and herds of cows, until the 109s eventually abandoned their pursuit. Finally came the decision to leave Greece to the Germans. That same day there was a massive air battle above Athens with 15 hurricanes, the remnants of three RAF squadrons, on one side, and a hundred-plus JU-88s and Dornia DO-17s escorted by ME-109s and ME-110s. Wherever I looked I saw an endless blur of enemy fighters whizzing towards me from every side. I threw my hurricane around as best I could, and whenever a Hun came into my sights I pressed the button. It was truly the most breathless, and in a way the most exhilarating time I've had in my life. Whether I had shot anyone down or even hit any of them, I couldn't say. He returned to his airfield soaked in sweat, his ammunition exhausted, and the hurricane peppered with holes. The next day, the remaining hurricanes did their best to protect the evacuation fleet, but Rold was ordered to fly a sealed package to hand to an agent who was remaining behind. When he found him, he was standing in the middle of the rough airstrip with a rifle as an ME-109 shot the place up. When it came time to leave Greece, Rold found himself in a Sunderland so crammed full of men that there were six chaps squeezed into the lavatory. He rejoined the squadron in Haifa, Palestine, but began to suffer from disabling headaches and blackouts, an after-effect of his head injury, and his flying career was brought to an abrupt end. He left his operations as an ace, having shot down more than five enemy aircraft. In 1942, he was sent to Washington, D.C. as an assistant air attaché, where he met author C.S. Forrester. This meeting was to set the seed for his future career as a writer, when Forrester encouraged him to write about his wartime experiences. There followed the books A Piece of Cake, Going Solo, and an amusing story about the mischievous creatures that supposedly played RAF aircraft, the Gremlins. It was whilst in Washington, and with his privileged access to the top echelons of American political life, including the President, that he was recruited by the spymaster Intrepid. Dahl worked for British Security Coordination, part of MI6, and he supplied intelligence to Churchill on the goings-on in and around the White House. At the end of the war, Dahl's injuries prevented him from remaining within the RAF, so he turned to writing as a career. He wrote for many television programs, such as Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and That Was The Week That Was, and many episodes of Tales of the Unexpected. He wrote the screenplay for the 007 film You Only Live Twice, scripts for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and many, many other contributions to film, 
However, I suspect that his much-loved children's books will be his longest-lasting legacy. I've already mentioned a few, but other titles like Fantastic Mr. Fox, Danny, Champion of the World, The Enormous Crocodile, George's Marvelous Medicine, and the BFG will bring back memories of his wonderful talent to many of us. He did all this whilst enduring personal tragedy. His four-month-old son was severely injured in an accident. His first daughter died of measles encephalitis, and his lovely American actress wife suffered three burst cerebral aneurysms whilst pregnant with their fifth child. A man who gifted the world with some of the finest children's literature ever written, and who cemented his place in history as one of our greatest authors, passed away in 1990 at the age of 74. I love that music. <laughs> That's what I, I got from all that. Something that was a bit jovial. <laughs> I noticed you had to stop it though at that uh, the not so. Oh, I didn't happy. seem appropriate. Really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't. Uh, yeah. I had no idea that he was so prolific. Uh, well, yeah, five children. That was good, wasn't it? Well, that kind of prolific, yes, uh, being <laughs> obvious. Uh, but I mean, his writings uh, and yeah, yeah. yeah. fun, yeah. Yeah, uh, and of course, w most of us know uh, him through the movies that were made uh, about his books. You know, some of them are brilliant, uh, but uh, the original books, and particularly the illustrations, I don't know, I don't think he illustrated his own books, but uh, someone will tell me who it was, but beautifully done, brilliantly done. And he, I think uh, as a writer, he had a way of uh, making the stories dark enough for kids to be really excited and get into but not so dark that they terrified them <laughs> right he was he was a great author charlie and the chocolate factory or willy wonka and the chocolate factory that was oh yeah there's some really slightly terrible. <laughs> yeah. but the fact that he was a fighter pilot i think he's brilliant yeah i love that yeah I had forgot. I think I knew that, and I had forgotten it. It's just one of those little like tidbits that you go, "Oh, that's yeah, interesting." Yeah. I mean, when you, you think of fighter pilots, you go, "They're not creative yeah, at all." Ten of pennies, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he spied on the Americans, I think, is even better. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your other question about the illustrator for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I know he has a ton of books, but just that one's well known. Um, Joseph Schindelman for the first U.S. edition and Faith Jacques for the first U.K. edition were the illustrators. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, so uh, I like throwing in the odd personality. Uh, it reminds me, actually, of uh, Captain W.E. Johns, who wrote the Biggles books. And mm. They were both fighter pilots, uh, just different wars, mm -hmm. um, and they both went on to be great authors. So, and both wrote, wrote children's stories. So, it's got to be a, a theme here somewhere. Uh, very childish behaviors. <laughs> fighter pilots are, are very childish. Yes. <laughs> oh look! Hey, look at that uh, airplane oh, yeah. on the screen. Sorry, I said oh, thanks wow. to, to Jeff for the uh, the show notes, but he wanted to show them now. So this oh. is the. The, if I was if I was really on the game on my game, I would have sent these in advance of the show. But you know, it's, oh, it's tea tail. Does it have a stick pusher? Nope, <laughs> does not. Yeah, that's our favorite. Yeah, yeah. Pistol 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 p
Yeah, I that's can see her. Pusher. It's a <laughs> stick pusher. Yeah, she's a stick uh, pusher, yeah. yeah. They really want a little head-shaped um, bend in that metal bar. I think they're, they? they're hoping for it at some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's close to the head there, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's the panel. Panel, yeah. That looks smart. It is. It's actually, everything's really, really easy to see, easy to read. Um, kind of, simple. I mean... Not a lot to this aircraft, so pretty simple. I mean, is it day VFR or can you do instrument flying on it? Day VFR. Okay. Yeah. And here's another one. There's some of the controls. Yeah, so I like this. So that, um, so you see it says. The brakes right here. Throttle and then wheel brake pull. That's your brake. So you have to actually lift up on that handle to uh, get the brakes. To it's like actually. an emergency brake in, in a it's car. like an emergency right? brake on your car, kind yeah. of, uh, except that it's the brakes. That's it. So what? So what's that? What's that lever in front of the throttle there? It's a choke. It's like a okay. lawnmower engine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, neat. <laughs> so uh, thrust. You know? Yeah. No, it's not reverse thrust. It's, it's a choke. <laughs> it looks like it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah Electronic trim here, which I actually never even needed to use. It doesn't have. It's not heavy on the controls at all. Uh, you can see this is the right seat uh, stick there, and I kind of cut off the one for the. Um, the left on the other side. The only thing, you know, and I was talking about this with the instructor, that um, little red tab there, that's uh-huh. the, the fuel uh, switch. So it's right next to the right leg of the person sitting in the left seat. Um, so, uh-huh. yeah, just be mindful of that. Don't make sure. It doesn't move very easily, <laughs> but say, you yeah. don't want to bump it, you know. To closed. You would hope that it was actually toggled so that you have to sort of lift it up before no, you it's a, it's it. A, it's, it rotates. Yeah, not in good. that same plane. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Did that one pass the feds? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. If light sport, you don't have to worry about that stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> you, you'll never die flying one of those. They don't go fast enough. <laughs> I, like I said, it actually goes pretty – I mean, 100 knots cruising is not, not terrible for a little aircraft. No. no. I, don't, I know that doesn't sound fast, but put yourself in something that tiny and then go that fast. Oh, yeah, that oh. close to the ground as well. Feel it. Well, yeah, you know, it lifts off at 40 knots, so that doesn't feel too, too fast. Brilliant. But nice, nice. Yeah, it's it's fun. All right. Highly recommend if anyone's thinking about it. We'll put those in the show notes for those listening to the Yeah, there's a lot of people. There is an electric version of that. This was not the electric version. Yeah. Runs on gas. The, the motor gas. Mogas. Mogas. Uh, aerobatic? No. Not intentionally. Even pretend? No, spins are not authorized in that. Uh, what, what what are the G limits there? Oh, it's actually not too bad. It's like plus four to minus two. Really? Oh, do most yeah. stuff there. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, but that, you're not really supposed to push those those boundaries. That just means not. the aircraft's going to stay intact. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as fuel <laughs> keeping going to the engine, uh, well, yeah, uh, it'll they, the engine's going to shut off uh, anything less than zero Gs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, right. Jeff, right. is that a mad dog behind you? Yeah, it's burning. <laughs> it just crashed behind me, and it's uh, in flames next I to a beautiful, just getting rid of a few, a beautiful lake setting. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's move on. Uh, item five for, uh, sent us some audio feedback. Jordan, not item five. Jordan sent us some audio feedback. Hello, APG crew and family. This is Jordan, leaving you guys audio feedback, not from Kuwait, but from beautiful Huntington Beach, California. Wanted to comment on episode four twenty one. First, James Mack sent in some audio feedback. He's interested in going flying in Southern California. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd be happy to take you up or get you pointed in the right direction. 
Captain Nick also talked a little bit about the F-18 pilot flying requirements, their monthly quals. I think those standards are actually set by NAVAIR, not by the United States Air Force. Uh, go Navy. Ooh, yeah. And then last but not least, uh, Rick, I'm happy to hear that you're typed on the 767 now. If you ever want to talk, uh, I happen to write your FCOM. So take care. Good luck and stay safe. Wash your hands. That's the guy. See, that's the guy I want to talk to because <laughs> I, I have some questions about some of this stuff. Now I'm just kidding. But, no, no, but seriously, yeah, that's uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That, that's I didn't know. I wow. can just see Rick now. Yeah, I happen to know the guy that uh, wrote this FCOM. <laughs> yeah. It was like him and I. Yeah, we, we have beers together. <laughs> well, thank you, Jordan, for that. And uh, yeah, let's see. For the correction. I've had beers with Jordan, actually. Pardon me? <laughs> some of us have had beers with Jordan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, James Mack, uh, if you are listening, um, wondering about uh, opportunities for flying in Southern California, contact Jordan. And uh, you can do that by contacting me, and I'll put the guy, you two in, in touch with each other. All right. Uh, continuing on uh, number six. Um, let's see. This is from hmm. – <laughs> usually I have who is from – oh, Etienne. Etienne Bouchard. Um, he said, uh, greetings, APG crew. I finally got around to listening to episode uh, 418 and as a feedback to your feedback regarding my feedback, I'm confused now. Uh, first, my apologies to captain Nick about the Concord book recommendation. I will be more than open to recommendations for books about more obscure flying machines. <laughs> nice yeah all kidding aside a thumbs up to dr steph for the pronunciation of montreal as uh, as well as newly nor newly nor he put that out phonetically I, so uh, I could... junior high french hasn't completely been lost. is that a, a detergent you put in your washing machine in northern canada yeah we're gonna oh, okay. cover that right now uh, second apology is in order about the video. You are absolutely right that I sent the one without any gravel action. So the, that would make me well under the 50% mark here. Yep. Yeah. As instructed. Complete I, failure. Yes. No kidding. So I guess we give him a buzzer for that one. Yep. Normally um, gravel action is when you fall off your motorcycle, isn't it, Dana? Yes. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want that. You don't want that type of gravel action. That really kind of stings. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, uh, that ask me. That. I know. <laughs> yeah. He says, as instructed, I linked additional videos that stay away from the comfort of paved surfaces. The only justification to keep flying those fluff slash thunder guppies. And he gives a bunch of uh, YouTube links, which we'll have in the show notes. And I've I looked at a couple of them, and it's really really cool to see these guys landing on gravel and. Uh, there's a camera and several of them positioned right next to the window so you can see the back of the wing and you can see the back of the engine and the thrust reversers coming out and it's very very cool thunder guppies educate me uh 37 200 yeah it's just a kind of a nickname um i'm not sure why they call it the thunder guppy but okay yeah not just guppy it's nice and you know like a little, Looks like stock a little airplane and yeah it's kind of the short side and yeah yeah short and fluff means, so. the engines on the 200s right? and thunders yeah because that uh, those, those jt8s are are loud. really loud mm-hmm. so yeah all right um let's see chris uh, we kind of alluded to this earlier when dana and i were talking about our woes whoa um so uh, he included a couple of articles, one uh, talking about the fact that uh, they were going to be 
uh, Acme was going to be retiring the uh, Mad Dogs earlier than expected, and now we know for sure that they've made the official announcement. Um, but uh, the other thing that we were alluding to was this article, and I think this is from Forbes.com. The 717 aircraft is the biggest of Acme Airlines' smaller problems. The mantra for a mantra for airlines in this downturn is to save cash. So they're examining high expenses like aircraft lease payments. And it goes on to say that we uh, uh, own about 79% of our aircraft. But uh, as far as the 193 aircraft Acme leases, the 717 dominates, accounting for 40% of our leased fleet and uh, talking about that deal they might be working with Boeing. And Dana, you said you heard a rumor that it could be by the end of the year that uh, the 717s are gone. Yeah, I've heard uh, from various sources, but you you know, I I don't know uh, for full, you know, it's just like this whole thing with what got announced today. We kind of knew it was coming, but we didn't know when it was coming. Right. And uh, the the 717, majority of the fleet's parked right now and some of it's permanent. Well, I'm going to have to really do some thinking about where I'm going to go next, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if, retire, retire. Hey, Jeff, especially if you, you know, you're, you've got what, four years left? Three, three and, and a half. half. Yeah. Three and a half. I, I would, I would go to something that you can have some quality of life on. I mean, seriously. Well, that's why I was going to go to the 717. Uh, because I have. Well, no, but you know, the, the, the like the, the, the baby bus, the 73 would give you good quality of life. You'd still be pretty senior on it. Um, and yeah. you know, that's just my thoughts, but we can, we can talk about that. Off yeah. That's probably, it's probably, I mean, if the 717 is not an option, uh, you know, one of the, uh, airplanes that I was really thinking about going to was the 7576, but that's another fleet that Acme is taking a serious look at, uh, starting to retire early as well, because they, well, I, I, I can remember that if you keep jumping into fleets that are being, uh, grounded. And sold off. You might never have to fly again. It'll just keep paying you. That's that's a good point. <laughs> you know what? With better pay. And that's what I've done all along, actually. Because <laughs> li- listen, this is my career of flying airplanes. Uh, the 141, that's gone. T37, that's gone. Uh, the um, L1011, that's gone. 727, that's gone. And now the MD88, MD90. So. Why not yeah, I mean, go for another one that's going to be retired? That's a good, good idea. Yeah, I mean, it, love it. It's really no. It's you know, I was thinking about it as as we were talking about it, and, and I kind of shut myself up there. But in reality, for and you mentioned it earlier, to go to the seven one from where we are now is such a no brainer that even if the aircraft retires, well, you know, you can't you can't make a decision based on a rumor. Right. Um, it, it's such a minor training event. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it really wouldn't be any skin off your back, really. And so, I can show you my um, certificate right now. says DC nine type rating. Yep. Which is what I what I'm required to have for the seven one seven. I already have the type rating, so yeah, that's probably what I'll do. But we'll I, if you keep watching the show, you'll come along yep. with our journey, both Dana and mine. You you come through with our journey of both. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Mine's going to be a little bit better than his. Just to what's, kinda, your, what's your drink, Dana? <laughs> Commiseration purpose. Uh, I've done gone with a Canadian whiskey. Everybody knows what that Canadian whiskey is, right? No, it's uh, uh, yeah, Crown Royal. And uh, there's this new. I, I have never seen it before, but I decided to go ahead and try it. Maybe it. I, I never go down the Coke 
cola or the soda aisle ever. I don't drink any sodas, generally speaking. But it actually sounded pretty good because I was going to get uh, some stuff to mix with my other drinks. And I saw this uh, product. It's uh, Diet uh, Cola. I'm not going to use the brand name. Uh, with lime and you can ginger. Use the bar. You can use the brand name. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Okay. Uh, that's only ginger? only for like airlines that we fly for. We can't use the brand. Name. I know. I'm just trying not to promote <laughs> anything on our show. Oh, that's uh, okay. But, uh, anyways, uh, and it's lime and ginger diet Coke Zero, which I you know I don't ever drink carbonated beverages, but let me tell you, to mix with the uh, um um the the, the uh, yeah, oh my god. Am I really getting that bad? Crown oil. Brain fat. Yeah, brain fat. It's been a long day. Yeah, well, I've got a lot on my mind. Um, The Crown Royal with that mixture is absolutely spectacularly amazing. The Mm. flavor on it, the profiles, it's just, there's so many layers here. My son has been drinking the Sprite with the ginger in it, and he loves it. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of reminds him, he said, kind of like a sweet, um, what do they call that? Mule? Uh, Moscow Mule? Moscow meal with a ginger yeah. beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, that would have well, been very intriguing to me too. Yeah, I think that would go well with the crown as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I love drinking crown with ginger ale. So I, I saw that. I said, well, I, I do like a little lime in there too. So this would be like perfect. And let yeah. me tell you, it is delicious. Anyways, yeah. enough about me. Enough about that. But uh, yeah, I, I think the seven one seven would be uh, a a no brainer. I probably won't in my own assessment, will probably not go to it as a first officer because it's going from a very high-paying position to the lowest-paying position at the company, mm-hmm. uh, unless it's you know, my only choice. So um, I'm just looking for a paying position. Hmm? I'm looking for a paying position. Yeah, well, going from a captain seat to the first officer and seven-one is the, I don't know. <laughs> Not unless the only the only choice I have is the street. So, yeah. well, no, I shouldn't say that because I would rather fly the seven one before I fly the seven three. Yeah, really? Is that just due to cockpit size? Yeah. Yes. the The seven three seven is by far from my girth, and I'm talking about my shoulders. Nothing else, folks. This is a family show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my shoulders, because I'm such a wide guy that. Uh, in either seat, I've sat in both seats numerous times that our uh, iPad with the mount is cutting right into my shoulder. And there's yeah. just nowhere to move it. Hey, it looks like we have a comedian in the chat room. Or at least he thinks he is. Um, <laughs> Major Rick Bell um, made something, some kind of a comment about my long career. I'm not sure exactly if you can find that. I, uh, I got it. You got oh, it? Go, go ahead. Okay, it sounds more like Captain Jeff has had a very long career. That's not funny. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? It's sad. I think he was calling you. Old. <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah. What's that? No, it was... Never mind. Go ahead. Oh, well, did, I, did I take it wrong? No. No, I think you took it exactly right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, mm. Major Bell. Major... All right. Um, let's move on. Try to get some more of this stuff in. This is a good one. <laughs> Justin sent us some feedback. He says, Dear APG crew, 
nothing worth wasting airtime on. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna waste it. This is this is definitely this is airworthy. Definitely, yes, <laughs> this is the no kind of stuff intended. we love. <laughs> but I figured it might personally give you a chuckle. The other day, I watched the live show for the very first time, and when you don't have a face to a voice, you just come up with an image in your head. Here is what I imagined you lo- you to look like in my head. This is before he saw the video, of course. He's imagining what we we might look like. And so let me here. I'm going to share the screen so we can see what he sees in his messed up head. Uh, all right. Where is it? Sorry. Mm, here we go. Okay. This is what Justin sees in his head. He says, Jeff is Jeff Foxworthy. Actually, I've, I, I can see that. I've had people say that like flight attendants go, oh, you kind of look like uh, you kind of look like that comedian, uh, Jeff Foxworthy. I go, really? It, it depends yeah, on when, what, when you lift an eyebrow. <laughs> when, when I have my hair is in certain phases from, you know, going from short to long, usually longer. They say I look like Foxworthy. Uh, Stephanie. Heidi Klum. I so mean, I'll take that. Yeah. That's fine. I think Steph's better looking than Heidi myself. But, oh, Steph. Yeah, particularly uh, when yes. she's in her Jeep topless. Yes. I oh. think I think I she's know. a much I think Doug <laughs> Steph has a much nicer smile. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Very kind. Uh Dana, so Justin thinks that Dana in his head looks like Denzel Washington. Well, I really wishes he had Denzel's money. Yeah, and it's a good-looking guy. You got to meant you got to. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you can't yeah. Uh, argue he is, against he is that. A handsome guy, but yeah. he has a whole lot more hair than I do. <laughs> Mind you, yeah. he, he and Denzel. I mean, Dana and Denzel fly in a very similar manner. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I, uh, I thought that. <laughs> and uh Nick, um so Justin <laughs> thinks Nick is the narrator from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe without a beard, he might be might be close. But you know, I've I've experienced this myself. You know, you you kind of hear like somebody's radio talk show or whatever, and then you see them on location somewhere and you go no, Ugh. that is no. That's not the person that I. I mean, that picture I had in my head was not any, not even close. No, now most people think I look like Tony Soprano from The Sopranos. I mean, without oh, actually yeah. seeing you, hearing your voice, and then they yes. expect to see you mm-hmm. looking like Tony Soprano. Yeah, yeah. people I think that. I look. Like you them. know, this happens to me the most when you read a book and then they turn the book into a movie oh, and yeah. they select an actor to play the characters uh, and you go, that ruins it. That's not what I thought they looked like at all in my head. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I guess so sorry, uh, Rick, uh, I guess he was listening or uh, watching a, a video without you. Uh, it may have been one of our recent shows that you weren't able to join yeah. us. So that'd be uh, Justin. You'll have to tell us what, um, when you, when you hear Rick's voice, what do you think of? Yeah. So, um, Okay, just wanted to say that I enjoy the podcast a lot and appreciate all the work and time you and everyone involved, including Liz, put into it. You are a really fun, entertaining, and big-hearted bunch. Only thing that might could be improved if Nick could brush up on his English. I mean, I'm all for diversity and inclusion, etc., but I don't understand a word he's saying. (laughs) 
That's what it's supposed to be like. Uh, she says, uh, so might as well talk proper American. Where does this bloke come from? Uh, I don't know. Stay safe, Justin. By the way, can't wait for episode 747. That's going to be a good yeah, one. Right. That'll be, be the day. <laughs> a few years from now. A couple of years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, thank you for, for sending that. That was fun. Um, let's oh, he's a German cargo pilot, I've been told. Oh. Mm. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, he was the one that um, made his way all the way over to – he's trying to go to somewhere in Arkansas or something like that via Florida and and Destin. Oh, and, Kansas. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, Justin, we can't understand Nick either. Yeah. Mutual. I don't know. Uh, let's see. I, I think I'm. Let's see. We're. Uh, I don't think we have enough time for. Uh, uh, Joseph sent us a, a wonderful um, audio feedback about his aviation journey, and it's a. It's about twenty uh, something minutes long. We don't. We don't have enough. It's time. a good plain tale plus a bit. <laughs> there you go. So we're going to, sorry, Joseph, we'll uh, try to get that one in on the next episode. Uh, we'll skip that and uh, move to number 10. William said, William from uh, Go on, Gloucester. Jeff. Gloucester. No. Gloucestershire. 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 Very good. Sauce. He says, Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. William from Gloucestershire sauce yeah, here. Steph, Steph's nailed it. Okay, there you go. I've got you Brits figured out. <laughs> We're you very win. simple folk. <laughs> Stephanie wins the prize. Um, anyway, um, first of all, I'd like to thank you for continuing your essential podcasting key work in these difficult times. Thank you. It's, it's tough, but, uh, you know, somebody's got to do it. I'm writing uh, in to share an article I found in the latest issue of Airliner World magazine. It may not be particularly interesting. It may not be a particularly interesting story in essence, but the subject airline might interest you. Don't feel you have to read this out. Just wondered if you might want to take or have a look. He says, so he started with blue skies and tailwinds. He crossed it out and said, wash your hands, William. <laughs> and so he included this little screenshot and um, the, the headline is safety first for APG airlines. I'd- wow. So Toulouse. Didn't we get this thing like trademark, copyrighted? Well, you know, I might have that might have fallen through the, through the cracks. Oh. Actually, it was oh. Acme Airlines, so I, d- I didn't think oh, of APG Airlines. Oh, that's true. Airlines. Yeah. All right. Darn Fair it. enough. Fair enough. I should have done. Don't, you, I don't we always have safety first for APG and Airlines? If, yes. if you thought about this, Captain Jeff, we could all be retired and had 100% pay raise. Yeah, we could uh, have sued these guys for everything they I've let you all down. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, this airline, APG Airlines, I have no idea what that stands for. I say it stands for Airline Pilot Guy. Uh, they're based in Toulouse, France. Uh, another company, uh-huh. I think, is uh, based in Toulouse. Um, can't think of it right offhand. No, I can't either. Uh, it's a small outfit. Yeah. Very, very, very not not barely worth mentioning. Uh. They make they make airplanes like Pipistrels or something. I don't little, know. Little airplanes. Yeah. Has little gained, airplanes that fly. Well, APG Airlines, you'll be happy to know, has gained certification from the International Air Transport Association, IATA, and is now registered on the Trade Bodies Safety Audit Register. The French outfit, I love my French outfits, uh, which operates... (laughs) Especially the French-made outfit. Oh, wait a minute. I think I I read that wrong. French-made outfit. (laughs) This means something entirely different. I'm sorry. Uh, Anyway, uh, that's that's pretty funny. Uh, There's an airline out there called APG Airlines. Very funny. Thank you, William from Gloucestershire. 
They fly a Beechcraft uh, B-300 King Air. They have one aircraft, two destinations, That's it. seven employees. It's more than we have. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. So I don't think it's really worth suing them after That's all. True. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, Dana. Yeah. Ken sent us some uh, feedback in. And, yeah, uh, I read it. He says, uh, thinking of you, Captain Dana. The Texas Department of Transportation found over 200 dead crows on Highway 281 this past week. And oh, there good. Were, you know, I just read that as dead cows. No, dead crows. I was going, 200 dead cows? <laughs> uh, and there was a concern that they may have died from coronavirus. A veterinary epide- epidemiologist examined the remains of all the crows and, to everyone's relief, confirmed the problem was not coronavirus or COVID-19. The cause of death was actually from vehicular impacts. However, during analysis, it was noted that varying colors of paints appeared on the bird's beaks and claws by... Oh, did I do it again? Shoot. Is it the end of the show? Yeah, I think it's getting close. <laughs> it's like when they would bring the hook out to drag people off the stage, like, in the old days. It's like Monty Python. Yeah. yeah. They'd play you off in the Oscars. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, stop talking. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Enough. They're all going commercial. like this. We got to go to commercial. Gotta Cut go it. Commercial. Cut it. That's it. Uh, okay. Here we go. So, um, the cause of death was actually from vehicular impacts. However, during analysis, analysis, it was noted that varying colors of paints appeared in the bird's beaks and claws. By analyzing these paint residues, it was found that 98% of the crows had been killed by impact with motorcycles, while only 2% were killed by cars. Texas DOT then hired an ornithological behaviorist to determine if there was a cause for the disproportionate percentages of motorcycle strikes versus car strikes. The ornithological behaviorist quickly concluded that when crows eat roadkill, they always have a lookout crow to warn of danger. They discovered that while all the lookout crows could shout, caw, not a single oh, one ca. could, ca. 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 not ca. a single one ca. could shout, bike. <laughs> Please don't tell me you'll be here all week. <laughs> okay. Where, where was that? I'm just, uh, I'm just the reader. You know, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not claiming to be a comedian. Oh man, that was a good one. Thank you, Ken. I enjoyed that one. I laughed out loud good. when I was reading that in the crew, man. Um, all right. Um, hmm. Anything mm-hmm. else? It kind of reminds me of the. Uh, of the movie, what's the birds that had all the crows attacking? Yeah, the birds. Yeah, the Alfred Hitchcock classic. Yeah. Right? It is. That movie, speaking of movies that gave me nightmares as a child. It did me too. That yeah. was that, that was, was a that was a tough one. For sure. Right, you got I, ten... I can quickly do thirteen, by the way, if you want. Okay. Okay. Um you said I could or you could? I can answer the question. Oh, okay. Well let's uh go here oh yeah good because i did wonder about this so i'm going to read it from david powell he says hi jeff steph nick dana rick and a special mention to the silent liz jeff should let you get a word in and again as i explained earlier i'd love for her to be with us and get a word in or more than one but she refuses she goes no i hope that you are all keeping well in these turbulent times in a recent episode you mentioned that pilots are always ready to let their fellow pilots 
uh, excuse me. In a recent episode, you mentioned that pilots are always ready to let their fellow pilots, if they see an issue, or let their pilots, fellow pilots know, I think. Missing word. Uh, I think on this occasion, it was a flame from an engine. Yeah, that was uh, on the last show. I wanted to share this clip. It's fascinated me for a few years. A Lufthansa A340 suspects that their fuel panels open and another plane confirms this. At this point, the pilot asks for somewhere to park so they can pop out of the plane and close the panel. So let's listen to this. I'm sorry, go ahead. your last uh, question? And Lufthansa 401, I'm sorry, go ahead. your last uh, question? Lufthansa 401, uh, we have a little problem. And uh, do you have contact with a car nearby the VOR station to look at our airplane? What do you need me to look at? Seems we have a refueling panel near the uh, body uh, open. Uh, maybe it's closed in the switch. Uh, so if you could look. Any port vehicles on a frequency? I got a car out there. Hang on a sec. Airport uh, Lufthansa 401 on the right side of the fuselage uh, behind the right wing. Yeah, he's, he's not on the frequency yet, sir. Hang on a second. Thanks. 401, you say the uh, access panel is behind the right wing on the fuselage? On the lower side. And that would be the first officer side of the airplane, like the actual right side, not looking at a right side, correct? Affirm. 93. Below the right, behind the right wing on the fuselage, just below it, access panel door, open or closed. Tower, JetBlue 153. Yes, sir. Ask Lufthansa if that fuel panel door is uh, on the bottom of the fuselage. If on the 401, is it on the bottom of the fuselage? On the bottom or right side? Uh, it's open. For uh, At least there's a small door hanging open on the bottom of the right side of the fuselage on uh, the Lufthansa A340. That was the 401. That was from the A320. It was uh, just behind you. You made the turn, so I don't know what you want to do. Look at the 401. If uh, we can, uh, we'd like to uh, go out of the sequence to the left, and uh, I'd like to go outside of the aircraft and close it, if that's possible. Uh, I don't... <laughs> uh, all right. You know what? You can make a left-hand turn <laughs> at the next taxiway, hold short of the runway, and whatever you need to do, you can do. Thank you. Next left, falling short of the runway and uh, cleared uh, to close it. Thank you. By the way, isn't that the... Is that in, JFK? That's in the that's, infamous that's Kennedy Steve. Steve. Kennedy Steve, yeah. Yep. I, I love the clash of accents. It's just fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. I just love that. Well, the, uh, I don't know what you're going <laughs> to do. What are you going to do? Anyway, I think he's retired now, as is Northwest Airlines. So this was some time ago, actually. Um, So uh, David Powell says, uh, now this brings on a few thoughts. How do they achieve this in practice? Anyone know an A340 pilot? Hmm. Anybody know? No. Uh, Have any of the APG crew carried out similar exercises? And indeed, could you on the equipment that you fly or have flown? Please keep up the good work. The show is always, as always, is a pleasure to listen to. Um, so I was thinking the same thing, Nick, when I was listening to this, I'm thinking, how do you get out of an A340 to close the panel? Oh, well, it's actually very simple. Okay. <laughs> uh, the captain rolls his seat all the way forward, which on a big bloke like me can be a bit uncomfortable. The FO climbs out of his seat. Uh, and this is the bit where you go, you, you hope you have a third pilot cause it's not really legal for the FO to abandon the aircraft in, while you're sitting there, engines running, etc. But he climbs out of his seat and he lifts the hatch behind the captain's seat. 
Okay, you've got to roll your seat all the way forward for that hatch to come up. And he uh, flicks a switch to illuminate the avionics bay and clambers down inside it. Another thing you're not spa- really supposed to do um, when the aircraft's uh, sort of chuntering along. And it's because it's full of it, you know, circuit breakers and lots of expensive equipment. <laughs> anyway, he uh, moves around to the front of the airplane where there is a hatch. And uh, attached to, he, he can lower the door. Uh, and then uh, that's his way out of the aircraft. And attached to the uh, bulkhead in front of the hatch is like one of the ladders you would use to get into the loft of your house, like a loft ladder. And he slides that down, and it extends uh, below the nose of the aircraft until it touches the ground. And he clambers down it, runs back down under the fuselage, being careful to obviously avoid jet wash from the engines either side and not get... Uh, blown over by the um, pressurization uh, outlet valves, the vents are there. It's all, a, you know, it can get a bit mucky down there. And then he can just run along and secure the panel, then run back up uh, along the fuselage, climb back in and reverse the process. You know, now that I think about it, you could probably do that in a lot of airplanes. You could do that in the Mad Dog, although Dana would argue, you know, it'll be a lot easier, Jeff, if you just lowered the aft air stairs. <laughs> exactly. You guys locked out. Yeah. And I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I'd fit through that hatch. I I could do it, but it would be a tight fit for me. Uh, so it's not a big hatch behind the captain's no, seat. No, you've got a dinky toy of an airplane. Yeah. Is there an equivalent in the seven four? Uh, yes. one, Nick. In fact, uh, the uh, a lot of times we'd we'd go to airports that uh, don't have um, uh, ground support personnel, so we would travel around with a mechanic, a couple of engineers, and then uh, when we would um, start engines or push back and start engines, we'd use our own engineer, and uh, for him to get back on the aircraft, he'd uh, do exactly the same thing. You know, go in through the E and E compartment. There's a hatch behind the uh, the landing gear there with the the, the ladder that comes down all the way down to the uh, to the uh, tarmac, and then you just climb up, and then you'd go up another set of uh, another ladder to the main deck, and then you go up another ladder to uh, the upper deck. So it's uh, it's interesting, but your, uh, your cardiovascular uh, stamina has to be. Oh yeah, 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 you have to be on point. Yeah, yeah. You have to be on point. And then on the on the seven sixes and triple sevens that I've flown, the access to the um, they call this in Boeing talk the lower forty one because the forty one is the name of the, the of the, the, the nose cockpit. Yeah, station forty one, the cockpit tech, uh, section of the jet. The lower forty one is obviously the uh, where the E and E electronics and electric uh, electrics uh, bay is. The access to the lower 41 and 7.6s and 777s is actually not in the uh, cockpit itself. It's on the passenger side. I'm not going to say where, but it's under the carpet somewhere. But uh, that's that's how you'd get yeah, down you there. Yeah, I want people to know that. <laughs> you don't want I'm going to keep my eye out for that. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. What are you, what gonna, are you doing? I'm just going to be looking around here on the floor for a minute just in case. I think I, exactly. I, don't I, mind I lost that my contact. my parachute with me. And, uh, I, lost, <laughs> I lost my contact. You have a parachute on you? Yeah. yeah We've well, got exactly. a one-up-old D.B. Cooper here. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, the, the cool thing about this, I, I, I imagine that uh, when they did this, it, it – Probably stopped the uh, the uh, the ACARS uh, clock counter, I guess, for the blockout. So they, have to, they actually have to block out again. Or, oh, really? I, I imagine so because for us, if the if any of the doors uh, yeah. uh, 
the obviously the, the any access panel, even the fuel panel, even if if that is not uh, closed, oh. then the A cars doesn't clock you out when you release the parking brake. I think that uh, perhaps that's the same way for us, Dana. Right? The uh, that's on the uh, door circuitry. The, yeah, uh, any the, any door that is on circuitry. Now, of course, yeah. the over wing exits not on circuitry. No, mm-hmm. circuitry. I'm pretty sure that once we're engines running, the clock doesn't stop when a door indicates because I've had doors indicate open through a proximity sensor fault and it hasn't reset anything we've just exercised the door um, got it the, fixed and carried on regardless uh, oh, really? not, not in flight i might add uh, on the ground <laughs> on the taxi good I'll idea <laughs> <laughs> good good call there yeah good call good call yeah so uh well, that's that's interesting. I did I didn't know that uh, you know once you uh, you secure panels on uh, Airbuses, they just uh, just unlock themselves and pop they're, themselves they're out. They're such that's smart a, airplanes. Very very smart. Yeah. I like that. Very cool. <laughs> Much smarter than their pilots. Uh, yes, yeah, that's the aim in life: <laughs> is to build an airplane that's cleverer than the pilot. <laughs> I don't know if you think they've done it yet. You know, I really don't. No. They're trying though. They're trying hard. They're yeah. trying to get rid of us. Uh, we're we're hard to kill. Yeah, we are. We're persistent. Okay. Well, we're going to save the couple that we had in the feedback folder for the next show. We're right at our three-hour point right now, as our producer-director has uh, just indicated. So we're going to go ahead and tell you that if you want to learn more about our show, and we really do appreciate all of you downloading, listening, um, giving us reviews watching the YouTube videos. By the way, if you're listening to the audio-only podcast, you probably already know this, but in case you don't, uh, we also have a YouTube channel, Airline Pilot Guy, all one word, uh, that you can watch the recordings, our videos. And uh, if you follow us on the social meds, you'll be able to uh, be notified when we are actually recording live and you can hang out with these wonderfully demented people that are in our chat room every uh, week. Just kidding. We love you. Term of endearment. Yes, it is. Folks, term of endearment. Yes. And, uh, but anyway, if you want to learn more about the show, head over to the uh, website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll learn about the crew and the community and merch and the APG library by our librarian, Tiffany. A uh, special um, page for the plane tales to get more information about those. Um, and so much more. So again, check out airlinepilotguide.com. And as I mentioned, we're also on the social meds. You did mention it. We are on Twitter at APG Crew. You can find us all there. Our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of the page. As Jeff mentioned, it's a great place to find notifications about when we might be recording the show live. Also a great place to find information if we change that time, because sometimes that happens what? as well. No. Or new links, you know. Never. Because technical issues never happened to us ever uh you can also find us on facebook facebook.com slash airline pilot guy uh communities all there chatting about all things aviation related current news stories again more notifications about when we'll be doing the show live and uh instagram at apg crew there as well and if you really wanted to get want to get into the weeds of things i suggest slack slack yes Uh, hang on let me see if that uh oh, this is kind of an inner inopportune time. Hello, hello. Are you ready to do the Slack thing? Can you get me a roll of toilet paper? Yeah, after the show, man. Okay, come over here. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. And don't forget about going over to Jet. Fuel Java, J E T T, fueljava.com. Enter the discount code APG423 for your 20% discount. Hurry before it's too late. And also a big round of applause for our producer director, Liz Piper in Toronto. She is awesome. Yay. And uh, until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how to guy